I hope you like bickering. Whatever, Kelly Clarkson's amazing. Where's a young country boy that can teach me how to live? I assume it's a Harry Potter thing. <laughs> Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's already got the tickets, so... <laughs> I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. I don't want a tour of your revolting world. Well, I guess you really should have thought of that eight years ago. I probably should have. My world is pretty revolting. And I'm, I'm right up in it. You really are. Yeah. We, uh, we share a bed. Not, not to be too personal with everybody here, but. Yeah, we do. Your, your revolting world, it's, it's right up in my face. I feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable too. I don't know why I went in this direction, I but here we are. I don't either. But let's move past this <laughs> yes. discomfort. Yeah. And provide our cousins with some exciting news. Yes. Perhaps slightly disappointing at first, but stay tuned. <laughs> so today we are dispensing with telegrams from the cousins. Right. We are dispensing with fashion backwards and repeats history. Mm-hmm. Not doing any of it. Yeah. It's stripped down. Take a moment to register your disappointment. <laughs> However, we are recapping. Uh, both hours of the episode that aired on PBS this past week. So we'll still be a little bit behind. Yes. But not quite so far behind as planned. Right. And I would also just like to say, for the record, I don't get PBS at all. They basically went from doing something that was stupid last year <laughs> to doing something that is actually stupider this year. <laughs> right. Well, why? I mean, I understand slightly that you wanted to make your you they wanted a two-hour premiere right yeah so that's like this idea you came up with fine but why have a two-hour week before the season right exactly because it's not like you don't have a two-hour finale coming up presumably i don't know how long it is next week i've always heard about them is that it all has to do with the programming blocks that they have set up with masterpiece classic Mm -hmm. which again i'm like which which I is mean, fine. Look, you have to do because you know a lot of the local affiliates run different programming, and you know, right? I right. understand that, but still, I mean, the thing that I don't understand is why there are scenes in these episodes <laughs> that yeah. aren't in the official. Like, how is there not a, a canonical version of Downton Abbey? Here, here, that is that's the the single biggest question mm-hmm. to me. Like. What and I mean, and, but I mean, it was true both for last season right, and this season, right? Absolutely, and it's bizarre. Like it, it's like it's just almost disrespectful to your own work to me. I know it's disrespectful to you know many countries. Yeah, like I just I don't understand it. But when we just you know we keep forgetting to record it, right? So we don't even know what these. Well, we thought all are. it had was Laura Linney, and then it didn't have that. And we're like, yeah. well. Pfft. Fuck that. <laughs> right. But no then it Linny, turned out... No problem. <laughs> yeah. Then I guess there's all this bonus material, which then is not on the DVDs we have, which come from PBS and uh-huh. are labeled PBS all over the but damn place. But they're the original, quote-unquote, British edits. So. Right. Uh, it's, it's just strange. So, memo to ITV, <laughs> Julian Fellows, and PBS. Yeah. And I guess Masterpiece Classic. And let's just throw Laura Linney in there <laughs> for fun. Get... Your shit together for yeah. the next series. Here, here. This is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And it makes our lives slightly more difficult, which, come on, where are your priorities? Right? 
<laughs> We're only the top Downton Abbey podcast out there, as far as I'm aware, because I fear criticism. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Neither of us would care to learn otherwise. Nope. If there's a better one out there, please don't tell us. Uh, we're not interested. Yeah. I mean, we don't listen to this one. <laughs> we're not going to listen to that one. <laughs> it's true. All right. So we're just going to dive in. That's we're right. We're going to be here for a while. <laughs> Kick back and relax, people. A while. <laughs> so I really hope... I guess this is going up on a holiday weekend, so people uh, might be... Sort of. Yeah. It's not President's a holiday weekend Day. for me. Some of you in America, not yeah. for people in uh, Britain. Not for most people in America. For me, there is. I know. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Back to the show. Yes. Bates gets out of murder prison. Yeah. Ooh. Apparently, when, when people are getting let out, they turn off the blue filters on all the lights. <laughs> like, up. Oh. We got a live one, boys. Bring up the yellow lights. Yeah. So he finally comes out, and Anna's been sitting out there in a car waiting for him to come. Yeah. And they have this tearful, happy reunion, and we're reminded that Brendan Coyle can, in fact, act when given the opportunity to do so. Yeah. It was really startling. Also, reminded that Bates has both a limp and a cane. Yeah. That How he about that? needs, apparently. I can't so, can't last without that cane. Maybe he was in there with that guy from the Green Mile. And like, <laughs> as soon as he came out, it was like, up, oh, back to the limp for me. It's like, I'm, uh, I'm taking that back, dude. That's only for prison people. Yeah. <laughs> you can't take my magic outside. So they, you know, they kiss and they're like, oh, thank God. And Bates says, oh, thank God and thank you. And I'm like, oh, if only Bates would spontaneously combust right now. <laughs> I would be so happy. Yeah. Uh, but they get in the car and it drives up to Downton. Yeah. Because uh, he's he's going back there. Yeah. And we get a very long distance shot of Downton with a bunch of like sheep in the pastures mm-hmm. and things like that. And Bates looking out at it thinking, ah, I've missed sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Then downstairs at breakfast, Jimmy and Alfred, Jimmy and Alfred are worried about how to talk to Mr. Bates, and Mrs. Hughes tells them, uh, "Well, I should think you would talk to him normally, of course." <laughs> That's right. You're welcome. Thanks. You know what? When I write in the recaps that she tells them to stop being asshats. Well, I'm you wrote that joke. I'm not. You don't get any of my jokes. Yeah, that's not even a joke. That's just what happened. Well, that's you're right. <laughs> Well, asshat is more kind of your word, but well, uh, yeah. fine. <laughs> um, Just a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, it's up yours downstairs, Grand Central. That's right. Uh, so Jimmy says, "Just says we're supposed to pretend that it never happened." And Bates appears like a ninja. <laughs> That's right, a ninja with a limp, limp ninja. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and he's like, "Oh, that's no problem," or something, and everybody flips out because Bates is back, except for us at home. We're, we're left rather unmoved. But everybody there is very happy to see I don't know. Him. I was pretty happy. I mean, like, you yeah. know, they hadn't all seemed genuinely happy about anything in a while. Yeah. So. That's certainly true. And, and throughout these next two hours, we do get glimpses of why we didn't always despise Bates to the depths <laughs> of our being. So that's nice. Mrs. Hughes asks Mrs. Patmore to get something for Mr. Bates to eat. She tells Daisy and Ivy, stir your stump. And I'm like, did they get amputated recently? It's, uh, or are they stirring with actual stumps? stumps. Uh, the Spanish flu came back between the episodes. Didn't Yikes. tell anybody. Well, that's Baron Fellows for you. Uh, yeah. Thomas, notably less pleased than everybody else. Thomas, once again, is our camera. Uh, yes. <laughs> Bates remarks that he is still here. 
Carson tells Bass that there's been some changes since he's been gone. Since you've been gone, <laughs> Thomas got promoted to Valid. He's so <laughs> moving up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks to you. Now he gets what he wants. Um, since Bass been gone. Foreshadowing. He doesn't get what he wants. Um, since Bass been gone. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Since Bass been gone. <laughs> Whatever, Kelly Clarkson's amazing. Is Kelly Clarkson here right now? She works at Down Abbey, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Whenever I look at Ivy, what I see instead is Kelly Clarkson. That is strange. Mm-hmm. You might want to talk to somebody about that. <laughs> I'm talking to you about it right now. <laughs> I'm useless. Uh, Carson tells Bates that he'll have heard about Sybil, and of course he has. We all saw him hear about her. And, uh, yeah, then Daisy brings out what appears to be an omelet. It's the fastest omelet in the West. Like... I have never... Look, I <laughs> understand that you can make an omelet pretty fast. Mm-hmm. I watch Top Chef. But, but this, this omelet like went... 20 seconds. This omelet went from raw to done. <laughs> like, like, oh, we made this omelet months ago. It's just waiting, <laughs> waiting for you to get back. I cracked a tooth. <laughs> well, now your teeth need a cane. Just like your leg, Poindexter. <laughs> now, that didn't happen, but everybody does pretty much laugh like that. Yeah. Because Daisy's all... like, welcome back, Mr. Bates. And everybody's like, oh, Daisy, no one likes you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, much, much rejoicing in this scene. Up at the breakfast that matters, <laughs> Lord Grantham is gazing at Isis. <laughs> Very lovingly. Yeah. Uh, while Branson and Matthew pay attention to Edith, who's a human female member of their family. <laughs> I uh, think this is female. Not human or a member of the family <laughs> in the strictest legal sense. <laughs> you think Lord Grantham just sits up nights sometimes and thinks, oh, all my problems would be solved if I could have just married Isis when I had the chance. <laughs> not necessarily married to her, but thanks to this damn entel, he can't leave the estate to her. <laughs> More like Dogton Abbey. (laughs) That's me trying to sing the Downton Abbey theme song like a dog. I hope that that was clear. And if not, I've clarified it. uh, Yeah. You're welcome, everybody. Yeah. So Edith has received uh, another offer from the editor of the Daily Sketch. He's not laying off he really wants her to write this column yeah so she's thinking uh that she'll go meet the editor in london and matthew encourages her to do so and matthew's like i'm kind of glad about matthew encouraging edith but i feel like he keeps talking to her like she's on suicide watch <laughs> yeah he's like yes go to london buy some clothes and i'm like she you know she looks better than your wife this season yeah she really like, does markedly yeah it's that's absolutely true yeah, no, he, he, uh, Lord Grantham refers to it as that horrible paper. I'm like, you mean that horrible paper that your wife subscribes to and reads every day? And learned about the sinking of the Titanic from? <laughs> yeah. The nope. paper that doesn't need to be ironed? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, they wouldn't publish that letter Isis wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> it was just she licked the paper and put her paw print. I helped her. <laughs> um, she was very put out. <laughs> She had very strong feelings about well, something. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Edith gets up and leaves the room just in time for Lord Grantham to tell Matthew to stop encouraging Edith. Right. And he starts remarking that Matthew set up a meeting with poor old Jarvis. <laughs> okay, dude. 
This man has been running your family's estate for 40 years. He may be old. I doubt he's poor. Mm -hmm. His name may not even be Jarvis, (laughs) for all I know. Right. But it's like, why? Why are you being like that about him? Like, it's also his job. Like, why are you acting like it's an inconvenience (laughs) for you to be like, hey, uh, remember how you were supposed to be running this estate? (laughs) It's kind of my attention that maybe you're not doing that. (laughs) Right. Like, don't get it. Yeah. That's like that's like going in for a pedicure and like apologizing the whole time. Right. I mean, we're all doing it internally. <laughs> yeah. But we don't have to say it out loud. That's why you leave a tip. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you do. I've never gotten a pedicure. I do. Okay. And you should too. I tip for everything. All right. I just, you know, karma. Sure. I'm not, I'm not going to. That s- and I'm drunk most of the time. <laughs> well, <laughs> that sounds like a great pedicure. So anyway, Matthew says, you know, he set up this meeting with Jarvis because they do have to start making changes around the estate if Lord Grantham agrees. And, you know, Lord Grantham just gets all huffy about it. Right. And he storms out and Branson asks Matthew, oh, wouldn't you prefer to just cut and run like me, the old Irishman? And I'm like, your name's still showing up on the main credits, Island Age. Like, <laughs> yeah. You'll have to forgive me for not taking you terribly seriously. Yeah. You'll have to cut and or run before. <laughs> not decide to start wearing tuxedos literally every day. Right. Got hundreds of them now. Apparently. <laughs> Lord Grantham gets out into the hallway and sees the one person that could pull his attention from Isis. It's Bates! Bates! That's right. His dear fellow! (laughs) Yes. Bates thanks Lord Grantham for uh, letting his driver drive him back from prison. (laughs) Which is pretty generous. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and Lord Grantham says he'll see how Jarvis is getting on about arranging a cottage for him and Anna. Oh, so he can bother Jarvis about a cottage for a cripple? But not like the continued existence of his livelihood. Asking Jarvis to get a, a cottage for Bates won't startle Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> He's like a parrot. He is. You gotta sneak up on him just <laughs> right. Yeah. Bates wonders what they'll do about Thomas, and Lord Grantham says he'll get it sorted out, which. Will you? Probably not. He's, it's not. He's proven himself to be not very good at sorting. Right. There's only one your valid position <laughs> and two of them. And this is also a problem that you could have foreseen long ago. Yeah, Bates has been coming back from prison for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. Also, it's been clear this whole season that he was coming back eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, name in the credits. Yeah. So so much for Shank Bates. Perhaps might have thought about this sooner, but he tells that Bates that he should for now he should rest and read books. So there's that. And then there's sort of an odd, very high angle shot of him in the lo- or the the hallway of Downton, sort of looking around, being like, "So stuck here now." Well, better than prison. It's a prison of a different color. <laughs> a better color. It is a better color. Technicolor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a car pulls up in front of Crawley House, startling Ethel, who runs off like a rabbit. <laughs> yeah. Inside, the Dowager Countess has come for a visit, and she's chastising Isabel for continuing to employ the notorious ex-hooker Ethel yeah. and surrounding her house with a miasma of scandal. Mm. Isabel says that one must fight for her beliefs, but the Dowager Countess asks if Ethel is to be the cudgel that Isabel uses to defeat her enemies, which is a really good point. Yes. And one that we have also been making. Yeah, yeah. But Isabel's confused because the Dowager Countess didn't leave the luncheon when Robert insisted. Right, right. But she was like, that was about Cora. Yeah. It wasn't about me. So then 
Ethel comes in with the tea and Isabel thinking somehow that this will like mitigate the scandal. It's mm. like, oh, but her cooking is like way better. Yeah. And, uh, Ethel says to the dowager that she's been studying and that, you know, a working woman these days must have a skill. Then the dowager countess says, oh, but you seem to have so many, which is not cool. Yeah. Like, I understand wanting to say that behind her back. Right. But that was... But that was beyond the pale. And I mean, I had to say, I appreciated the Ethel's, the the actress's, oh, that was really hurtful Uh face. Like, it was just like... Yeah. It was just this whole, like, I cannot possibly respond. I just have to suck it up. Come on. How many... You don't... You need, like, two skills. (laughs) Right. Like, that's what you need. (laughs) Yeah. To do that. Right. It's Maybe three. If you're fancy. Like, don't get me wrong. At the top levels, I'm sure you have to be very skilled. But as an entry level... uh, No. Come on. It's pretty... You you know, you can blunder your way through Excel for a few months. (laughs) (laughs) If you know what I mean. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't, actually. But yeah, that that was a low blow. Well, just because, you know... Ethel can't, Ethel can't fight back. That's an unfair fight. So stick to... S- Always punch up, Dowager Countess. Never punch down. Yeah. Or you can punch Isabel all you like. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> lateral. That's yeah, on that's, her level. Yeah, that's totally fine. Uh, Lord Grantham and McGee are strolling about the grounds of Downton. As, as is their wont. Yes, as they do. Discussing the best way to handle Thomas. Yeah, McGee seems like she's still wearing mourning. And I think the right. Dowager is as well. So it's not clear to me how long after Sybil's death this is. Mm-hmm. Because the guidelines have clearly begun changing at this point. You know what right. I mean? It's not right. as, as well, and, concerning. And, you know, whatever the guidelines are, it seems like it's just the parents. Because Edith and... That's true. Edith and Mary aren't at all in mourning. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that makes sense that the parents would be the ones, right, you know, right. kind of clinging to the old. Yeah, yeah. Old ways. But they see the nanny off kind of in the distance pushing uh, baby Sybil's pram. This is, this is England. It's a pram. Um, and Short for perambulator. Thank you. Uh, and Lord Grantham wonders when Branson is planning to move out. McGee says that, you know, maybe stop kicking your grandchild out the door so quickly. <laughs> Uh, and that, that Branson and the baby are their responsibility now. Uh, Lord Grantham doesn't particularly agree with that, but uh, in any case, conversation's over because he has to go to a meeting with Matthew and uh, poor old Jarvis. Back in the servants' hall, Thomas is polishing a top hat? Or was I, he well, brushing it? it I think like he was he... brushing it, but I mean, I could sort of see, like, because it was like, there was a bit of a... There was a sheen on there. Yeah, well, the, the fabric had some kind of... Uh, like uh texture to it so i think he was just sort of getting it all aligned okay well anyway he's down there and bates is there with anna as well so thomas asks bates if bates has any plans bates says it's too early to tell uh mosley blunders in (laughs) which can be used of every mosley Mosley, seriously he is just like the glue that's holding the show together (laughs) at this point moving it forward from a narrative perspective (laughs) he comes in and says oh thomas you'll be looking for something to do now that bates is back everybody's like smooth move (laughs) x-lax anyway alfred helpfully changes the subject by saying the village hall is showing a film called way down east about a wronged woman who survives in the wilderness by her own wits and courage yeah now i was going to suggest that it might be about ethel (laughs) but o'brien chimes in and says oh blimey they took my story (laughs) Uh, alfred says it stars lillian gish 
and he invites Ivy to go to a late showing at 10.30. The village is putting on a late showing for the servants in the area. Mm-hmm. And she says she won't go with him alone because her mom wouldn't like it. Uh, and Mrs. Hughes says she wouldn't either. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Jimmy says he won't go because it sounds soppy. Uh, <laughs> and I guess he hates everything fun. Mrs. Hughes right. says that Ivy can go if Madge or Alice goes along. Madge or Alice being the mystery servant. I know. And one of whom we get a glimpse of her face in this scene. Yeah. So and she's we, very excited about going to see a movie. Yeah. We don't know whether it was Madge or Alice, but we like her. So Ivy says she'll ask Mrs. Patmore if she can go. And Alfred just like, Lights up like a Christmas tree. So excited. Right. But once again, I want to be like, dude, she's just not that into you. Yeah, you're barking up the wrong ivy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, quick, just a quick summary of Way Down East, because I looked it up. It's actually by D.W. Griffith, uh, most famously of uh, Birth of a Nation. So racist. <laughs> right. This one uh, is not racist insofar as there are no minorities in it. But it's uh, basically this rich man about town named Lennox... Uh, is tricked into a fake wedding, or tricks a woman named Anna, a poor country girl, into a fake wedding. Uh, when she becomes pregnant, he leaves her, and she has the baby, which he names Trust Lennox, on her own. What? Like, isn't that, like... The opposite of what you right. should do? Isn't the one thing you've learned in your life at this point, don't trust Lennox? <laughs> Uh, in any case, the baby dies, uh, she wanders around, and, you know, like, we'll start to find a place in the world but then people find out about her past uh lennox ethel (laughs) (laughs) yeah indeed eventually she gets tossed out into a snowstorm and uh she becomes lost in the raging storm while david who's this guy that she's come across it turns out to be the good guy uh goes out and finds her and in the famous climax the unconscious Anna floats down an icy river towards a waterfall until rescued at the last moment by David, who in the final scene marries her. Um, like on the waterfall? <laughs> that's not made clear. Was it Niagara Falls? Uh, just just some river. I think this is... I'm not sure where this is all set. I think it's... Yeah, I think it's England. All right. In any case, that's uh, that's the movie. Okay. So I just thought you might like to know what the deal was that's quite a deal yeah it was uh hugely successful it was one of his most you know highest grossing movies well it sounds like it has much more of an international bent than the old birth of a nation yeah i would also point out that it sounds uh soppy it does sound actually <laughs> quite soppy <Yeah. laughs> so poor old jarvis is up in uh the library or whatever with matthew and lord grantham neither Jarvis nor Lord Grantham are a fan of Matthew's plan, as has been the case for the last few weeks. And, uh, yeah, they don't like it. Matthew Matthew likes it, and never the twain shall meet. Yeah, he tries to remind them about, like, capitalism, which they seem to have decided to ignore uh, <laughs> right. forever. Yeah. Like, it's, no, I mean, all he's trying to say is, you know, hey... If we want to keep spending money, we need to be bringing money in. And they're like, what? Why? We've never had to do that before. Right. Yeah. We just get some poor staff to keep giving us money. Right. Like, (laughs) this has been working for a hundred years. It's not that long. I know. In the village, Ethel is walking with a basket in the rain. She appears to have some carrots. 
That was all I could tell yeah. in her basket. Uh, so she's just sobbing, and the Dowager Countess sees her, but like the way it's edited is really weird. Yeah, it is. Because it's clear that the Dowager Countess is looking out the window, but like at no point do you kind of see the car come to an angle where she would see her. Right, right. So I felt that was sloppy. Yeah, it was a little bit. And come on, they're just carrots. Yeah. They're not so bad. <laughs> at the Dower House, Edith has come to visit and is attempting to get the Dowager Countess to take her side on writing for the Daily Sketch, pointing out that it was her idea that she should go out and do something. But she did think she should just, you know, take up watercolors or something. Right, right. Uh, The Dowager Countess gives in and says that she will see what she can do. She's coming up that night, but she wants a favor in return. Dun, dun, dun. Right. Ethel serves some tea in the evening to Isabel. Maybe not. No. Scratch that. Yeah. Ethel is serving tea to Isabel, and Isabel notices that Ethel has been crying. Uh, and Ethel tells her that Mrs. Bakewell, she of the ham shop, <laughs> uh, refused to serve her. And in the end, her husband did serve her, but he wasn't very nice about it. I just wanted some scratch-offs and a pack of blunts. <laughs> <laughs> For Charlie. <laughs> he used to love them. <laughs> Especially... Peach flavored. <laughs> anyway, Isabel says that they should take their business elsewhere, but Ethel's just like, um, yeah, I'm used to it at this point. Yeah, and it's not like, you know, Mrs. Honeywell at the next shop is going to feel any differently. Yeah, so. people are really not fans of hookers <laughs> in this town. <laughs> they really aren't. It's like they think they're immoral. <laughs> it is. It's like the opposite of Elko, Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> Is that where the Playboy Ranch is or the, uh, the Playgirl Ranch? I honestly don't know. I know it's a small town in Nevada, so probably there's a brothel, but I don't <laughs> I don't actually know. The more you know. <laughs> Down in the kitchen, Alfred stops on by to see if Ivy's allowed to go uh, on a non-date with him. It's He thinks it's a date, but... She has made it perfectly clear that it is, in fact, not a date. Yeah. And he then asks Mrs. Patmore about the bechamel sauce she is making. He believes it should have mace or some other spice in it. Parsley. Yeah, and she says that she had put it in already, and, you know, she's she's on top of it. (laughs) Jimmy... Calls uh, Jimmy calls Alfred a ninny for caring about the bechamel sauce. I'm like, wow, look at the pot calling the kettle a ninny. Right? Like, good lord, like, Mr. Kent. He's such a ninny. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Padmore said that there's nothing wrong with a man who can cook and that some of the best chefs are men. And Jimmy insults Alfred again. I forget exactly what he says, but then Carson walks he in. He calls him a beanpole. Yeah. Uh, and Carson walks in at that moment and asks Jimmy why James, because <laughs> it's Carson, why he always feels the need to be so unpleasant. Uh, also, I realize that there's no way of doing this, but boy, somebody really ought to show uh, Jimmy a picture of uh, Monsieur from Manor House. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and be like, well, that beanpole is <laughs> fucking a crazy, talented Edwardian chef. That's true. Emphasis on the crazy. Very crazy. Yes. Yeah. But yes, as a punishment for his unpleasantness, Alfred will be taking up the fish and meat while Jimmy is relegated to the sauce. Ivy says that Jimmy should be first footman, and Daisy has had enough and says to Alfred, would you listen to her talking like this? She, First of all, you've been here longer and you're taller, and yet she's saying that he should be first footman. Why do you want to go out with her? And Alfred says, 
well, I've already got the tickets now, so... <laughs> Which is just hilarious. I mean, it kind of doesn't even make any sense. No, but he's the worst. Yeah. Up in the nursery, which we're still not clear on exactly what room this is. Right. But Branson's holding his daughter next to a window like he's posing for a painting of himself as the Blessed Virgin. He, he They're only, like in the shafts of light. He only holds his baby next to windows. It's an Irish thing. <laughs> uh, anyway, speaking of people named Mary, <laughs> Mary comes in and asks about the christening, which is in fact at the church in Ripon. That's as right. discussed last week. St. Wilfred's. So Mary... Mary looks like she wants to steal the baby. She does. Very much wanting to steal that baby. Yeah. Uh, Branson is concerned and doesn't want to invite the whole family to the christening. He just wants to invite Mary and Matthew. But Mary encourages him to offer the family the opportunity to behave decently. Mm. Uh, and then Branson asks if Mary will be the godmother alongside his brother, Kieran, who's coming in right. to be the godfather. She's concerned that, you know, she's not Catholic. Because right. as long as one of them is Catholic, mm-hmm. then it's fine. Yeah. She says, yeah, you know, that would be great. Still wanting to steal that right. baby. So However, she's like, she's no. like, so being the godmother will make it easier for me to steal this baby, right. right? She's like, so then if you die and your brother dies, I get the baby then, right? Like that's, <laughs> <laughs> that is in fact how it works. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> uh, so he says that his brother's coming in for the christening and that he'll stay, you know, in, in, the pub in the village. Right, right. And she says, oh, of course not. He should come stay at the house. And he's like, oh, he's a bit of a rough diamond. <laughs> and she says that she likes diamonds. It's she, just, she, it's a weird scene. When, when she said is. diamonds, she means babies. <laughs> like babies. I want a baby. <laughs> I just want one. Does your brother have a baby? He could bring it. <laughs> babies, babies everywhere. <laughs> but I have a barren womb. <laughs> Anna and Bates go for a walk in the woods. If this is anything like that scene in a room with a view, they are going to be disappointed. <laughs> Life! Freedom! I'm not even talking about that one. I actually think of two separate scenes in the woods. Fair enough. The That's... one with all the penises. Oh, yeah. And the one where uh, Daniel Day-Lewis kisses Helena Bonham Carter and yeah. everyone is sad. There's a lot of scenes in the woods in that movie, I, I suppose. Well, it's a very, like, you know... Transcendental thing to do. A room with a view of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> but they're looking at some cottages that they might end up with, or might not, apparently. It seems to be out of their control. But Bates is naturally excited to be out of murder prison. Um, like I forgot how non blue the rest of the world is. <laughs> right. Shame I have to limp again, but small price to pay. Um, they uh, talk about. How soon Thomas will be sent on his merry way. And Anna calls him Mr. Stick It Up Your Jumper, <laughs> which is my new name for you. Aww. Oh, Mr. Stick It Up Your Jumper. But I don't have a jumper. You can stick it up my jumper. <laughs> Do you have a jumper? Yeah. <laughs> it's a sweater. We'll discuss this off the air. <laughs> Man, why'd you have to make it weird again? <laughs> I just didn't think you had a jumper is all. I thought I thought a jumper was only for kids. No, a jumper in Britain is a sweater. Oh. Have you ever watched Bridget Jones's Diary? No. That's I haven't. A damn shame. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> that's Why would you say stick it up your sweater? I She's not a swearing woman, Tom. Well, I understand that, but it still doesn't make any sense. <sighs> you just don't understand football, Marge. <laughs> Fair enough. In any case, Bates says revenge is sweet. 
Which were actually Vera's last words. <laughs> Did you know that revenge is much sweeter if you bake it in a pie? Pro tip. So yeah, uh, Bates is apparently very vengeful, I guess. Despite telling Anna she can't be vengeful, that's sexist. <laughs> it is, yeah. Thomas is smoking down in the servants' hall. <gasps> I just We haven't seen him smoke much this season. I think he smokes, but he does smoke. Yeah, yeah. Well, and somebody had sent us a letter at some point wondering, like, when it was okay for him to smoke in the servants' hall. But he's always smoked in the servants' hall. Agreed there, yeah. That's always been a thing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Mrs. Patmore is uh, telling Jimmy to shut up. <laughs> I don't even know about what. All I said was to tell him to shut up. Oh, he's angry because Alfred gets to carry the stupid meat and fish. Right. Because so this is the most important thing in his narrow little world. Yeah, so Jimmy's blustering that he's going to go off on Alfred, like, in the dining room? Like, I don't understand. But Thomas advises him not to lose his temper and that these things can be managed right. by just keeping it in hand. So then Jimmy goes upstairs, and O'Brien just oozes up with her bangs. Yeah, well, first materializes behind him and says that they're quite the cozy couple. Yeah. And so she basically tells him that Jimmy totally fancies him. And Alfred says that Jimmy won't stop talking about Thomas. And Thomas keeps saying, oh, he's lying. He's lying. He's lying. Yeah. But you can see the flicker of hope behind the world weary persona. Yeah. It is. uh, I just can't believe how evil O'Brien is. I know. It's just weird. Well, and she seemed like she was going to be less evil last year. Yeah. But no, more so. In the dining room... Jimmy adjusts the position of the serving utensils on the fish plate that Alfred is carrying. Lord Grantham is quite upset because Matthew has asked Murray to the house without consulting Lord Grantham. Uh, Alfred presents the fish plate to the Dowager Countess, who uh, manages to knock a bunch of them all over herself with her napkin uh, by ca- like catching on the serving utensils. And they go everywhere, and everybody's you know in a bit of an uproar. Carson, on her instructions, just scrapes her down, and uh, Jimmy swoops in and takes the fish plate and says, why don't you let me handle that? And he winks at him. Yeah, he does. Like, he is a saucy tool. He is. That's why he should be carrying the sauce. (laughs) Um, The Dowager Countess tells Isabel that she saw a very upset Ethel in the village, and uh, Isabel says that people can be very unforgiving. And Lord Grantham says that uh, something about that. He says some people are unforgiving and some people are insensitive. Yes. Implying that Isabel is insensitive, which she is. Yes. This is true. So awkward silence number one. <laughs> uh, McGee, as she's so good at changing the subject and asks Edith how her trip to London was. That doesn't last long. Lord Grantham tries to uh, convince everybody what a bad idea this whole woman writer thing is. Uh, but the Dowager Countess, true to her word, actually sticks up for Edith. She says that she does believe a woman's place is in the home, but not quite yet. Or, you know, Edith doesn't have to get there right away. And then speculates that she may not be cut out for domestic life. But uh, before she says that part, Isabel says, have you changed your pills? <laughs> That's right. And Lord Grantham loves it. <laughs> it is the funniest. That's what I love about this family is how mercenary they are. Yeah. Like they all have their sort of like ostensible <laughs> like loyalties, but as soon as somebody makes a funny, they are like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so awkward silence number 2. Matthew changes the subject to what Branson's plans are and it's like, "Boy, 
everything that any of you does upsets somebody else. Uh-huh. Like, there's no topic that you can nope. get to. Uh, but he's apparently planning to work with Kieran, his aforementioned brother, at a, a garage in Liverpool, and uh, mentions that Kieran is coming to stay for the christening. Also, I just wanted to earlier that Lord Grantham says that Matthew asked Marie to the house to the house without consulting him. And I'm just wondering, has anybody ever said, "Boy, I'm sure glad I consulted Lord Grantham about this." <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking back on all the things that he's done, and I'm thinking probably not. Yeah, yeah. Back in the servants' hall, O'Brien wants uh, Alfred to give her the blow-by-blow of the great lobster tail fail of 1920 (laughs) up in the dining room. Now, Alfred says he doesn't think that Jimmy deliberately place the utensils to humiliate him. Right. But A, Alfred, he winked at you. (laughs) And B, when Jimmy's like, oh, I hope not. Like, but in such a way that it is so obvious that mm-hmm. that is exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. So Carson basically just tells Alfred to quit taking Jimmy's wooden nickels all the time. <laughs> and uh, magnanimously still allows uh, Alfred and Ivy and all those mute layabouts <laughs> to go to the pictures. Right. So Mrs. Hughes suggests that he's being too harsh because he kind of pontificates about like – you know, take that, this time to learn from your mistakes. Yeah. yeah. And Carson says he's just asking Alfred to do some self-reflection, but uh, she thinks that he's throwing in a little bit of ritual humiliation for good measure there. Right. I would like to, to speak up for Mr. Carson a little bit here in that, I mean, Alfred's whole job is to not drop lobster on the Dowager Cat. Oh, yeah. No, no, like, no. Like, he screwed up at his job and he sh- he was chastised by his supervisor. Like, yeah. That's totally appropriate. It's fine. Yeah. Mary gets into bed with Matthew and tells him that he shouldn't have rung Murray without consulting Lord Grantham. Uh, he says that she asked him to take an interest, but now she gets upset and he, she can't have it both ways. And she says that she can have it both ways. Mm, you'd give it to her both ways. You're, you're goddamn right. <laughs> um, she kisses him in her standard... I learned about kissing from watching other people do it kind of way. She's always so awkward. I, yeah. I don't know what that's about. Um, oh, they always seem like they just wanted to be so meaningful. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, ugh. Meaningful yeah. kissing. <laughs> Call me when you get a Snuggie. Right. Like, that's real love. Yeah. But they, uh, he interrupts the uh, physical contact by worrying about his, uh, you know, fertility, basically. He says... Uh, if there's anything wrong, then it's obviously my fault, which is basically England's motto, mm-hmm. I think, well, among the upper classes. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously my fault. And I'd, I'd also like to point out that uh, whether or not you're f- uh, fertile, you can keep banging her. Like, also, if you know, like... She's, believe me, many of us out there would relish the opportunity. You know what's definitely not going to get her pregnant? <laughs> not banging her. Yeah. Here, here. Like... Stranger things have happened. You know what I'm saying? Like people who've thought they were sterile, mm-hmm. like, oh shit, turns out I'm not not sterile. Yeah, it's in the Bible and everything. I know, right? <laughs> <sighs> On the way back from the film in the village, Alfred tells Ivy that he prefers English films with English stars because they feel more real. Uh, that is because you cannot suspend your disbelief correctly, Alfred. <laughs> Ivy says that she prefers the American actors who've got more you know what, which I can only assume is sex appeal. 
I guess so. Like, yeah. I, I don't know any, like, what, like, they've, uh, they've got money? More, they've got more, you know, Jimmy Kentishness about them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alfred says that the actress Ivy Close makes Lillian Gish look like a school marm. Which, listen, tastes differ, but based on the images I looked up on my phone, that's not even remotely true. Yeah, they look identical. <laughs> yeah. Then they talk about famous people having their names, and it's dumb. It's dumb. I mean, there are many, and this isn't the best example, but there's a lot of like low stakes conversations in these two episodes, which That's I do true. appreciate. Like, I mean, it is nice to have some character development. Yeah. But yeah, this isn't exactly riveting. <laughs> Down in the servants' hall, Thomas tells Jimmy that everyone is in bed except for the picture goers. Jimmy says that if he had been the one to drop food all over the Dowager Countess, he wouldn't be allowed to go to the pictures. The flicks. Yeah. He's so trendy. He is. He complains that Mr. Carson doesn't like him, and Thomas says that he loves Jimmy. That he, Thomas, yes. loves he, Jimmy. Yes. He For says it. Forever. Yeah. It's it's right out in the open. It's... Uh, I can't explain to you, cousins, how much of this episode... I just sat there and yelled no at the television. I can witness. Like <laughs> I just couldn't stop. Yeah. But this scene uh, this scene is so like and and it's just, you know, cuz they talk about the fact that neither of them has any uh living family. Uh-huh. And that they're all alone in the world and and what is it? he says that they both they both try to put on a show about how... Yeah, they both try to seem so confident, but underneath they're not quite so sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and because it's just so painful, because Jimmy's clearly just kind of humoring him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, just, Jimmy just doesn't know what's... He's just yeah, carrying I mean, on the conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and Thomas isn't creepily feeling him up, so... Right, right. And so Jimmy goes off to bed when O'Brien comes in, and Jimmy goes off to bed... And O'Brien, and I mean, I got to hand it to her. She, she does it well. Uh huh. Like convinces, like, like just puts, puts Thomas off balance. Like before O'Brien comes in, he had been like forging this connection with Jimmy, but he was in control and he, he was, wasn't yeah, going he to was, act on it. He was observing the appropriate boundaries. Yeah. And even o- everything O'Brien says to him, he dismisses and he says he doesn't believe it. And yet at the end, He's well because she says, uh, "Oh, I didn't know it was supposed to be a secret." Right. So for some reason, that kind of like convinces him that like people know about it, and like that makes it okay somehow, or like yeah, she manages to convince him that it wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah, if something were to happen. Yeah, and I mean, while you know, as we discussed amongst ourselves you would think thomas would at this point learn to not trust anything he thinks after being in the presence of o'brien yeah still she does it very like subtly and skillfully true yeah so up in his room uh jimmy's getting ready for bed mainly shirtless and he is fine yeah he looks really good it's true looks really good uh thomas meanwhile sits alone in the servants hall debating what to do before going up to his own room and undressing with the fury uh, that only the sexually frustrated <laughs> will recognize. <laughs> yes. Which uh, I, I imagine few among us have not been yeah, at some point. Yeah, we've all been. Fa- yeah. But I mean, he. Yeah. He clearly needs. I wanted to be like, dude, rub one out. <laughs> and then reconsider. Smoke a cigarette. Yeah. 
Just think this through. Yeah. Don't think with your dick here, man. Yeah. But I think that's the problem, though. It's not just him thinking with right. his dick. I was he just about to say. He thinks that there is this, like, deep emotional connection. Right. And that always makes it much harder to act on yeah. on any kind of attraction mm-hmm. that you have because then there's something at stake. Yeah. You know, you have something to lose. Yeah. Fortunately, most of us don't stand to lose our jobs. True. Back outside, Alfred, uh, they're arriving back at Downton Abbey, and Alfred says that he loves going out with Ivy and that they should do it again. She, however, doesn't want to give him the wrong idea because, as she has been pointing out clearly and unmistakably, she doesn't like him. At all. Yeah. He looks like a foot. Uh, he does. I think that Alfred should consider going out with uh, Madge and or uh, Alice. Yeah, well, they're around. Let Ivy chaperone. Mm-hmm. They both seem like nice girls. Not involved with anyone. Nope. Uh, but in any case, he tells Ivy that Jimmy doesn't like her, which appears to be true. She says that he flirts with her, which is not indication of anything. And she, he asks if, Yeah, he's flirting with Thomas. Yeah. Uh, and Daisy, when it suits him. He He's a flirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wonders if Ivy knew that Jimmy wasn't interested in her. Would that make a difference? And she says she'd need to hear it from his lips. But also, she's never going to date you, dude. Yeah. Like, get over it. Yeah. Like, that's... Ivy, the answer... The correct answer to that question is, uh, no. (laughs) Uh, So Thomas is sitting upstairs on his bed, clearly in a quandary. Yeah. He's got a bee in his bonnet, and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. So Alfred's going up the stairs to the men's quarters... Just as Thomas leaves his room and walks quietly over to Jimmy's room, he takes a pause before he opens the door. You know, he's almost decided not to do it, but he does. He goes in. He sits on the bed. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Alfred, coming up the stairs still. No. The gay violins of discord are keening. <laughs> they are. So Thomas leans in and kisses Jimmy. Just as Alfred knocks on Jimmy's door, because it seems like... Alfred was coming to Jimmy's room specifically at this to, inopportune hour to wake him up. To wake him up he and says, tell Sorry him, to wake you up. Yeah. Yeah. To tell him that he needs him to tell Ivy that he doesn't like Ivy. Yeah. And I'll say this too. The first time I saw this episode, I believe that Alfred and Jimmy shared a room. I did as well. Based partly on Manor House when the first and second. Based on that and also based on, um, Anna and when uh, yeah, back right. in the first series, I right. just assumed that the first and second footman shared quarters. Right, um, but apparently, I mean, I guess it's still technically possible. But then he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have knocked if he was going into his own room. That's true. He would have said sorry to wake yeah, you up, but yeah. he wouldn't have knocked. So yeah, they, which makes Thomas's because at first it seemed like Thomas. <gasps> no, was it just seems like crazy. No, because it was like, dude, he's going to be coming back like any time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you needed to make that decision right away if you're going to do it. But yeah, yeah. But so that that does make more sense. It does in a sense. Um. But yes, the yeah. So so Jimmy flips out as he wakes up and realizes that a. Thomas is kissing him and B, Alfred has seen the whole thing. Yeah. So his first reaction, which I think is really interesting, is for him to tell Alfred that it's not what it looks like. Like, that's his first Mm -hmm. reaction. Mm -hmm. Thomas is very confused and he tries to reassure Jimmy that nobody's going to believe Alfred's penthouse letters about them. (laughs) Um, But then Jimmy just wheels around and yells at Thomas and and Thomas is trying to explain like no you know there's all this between us and it's and what you said yeah, yeah and it's not but again 
I think his name is Rob James Collier. I think I've been misremembering his name. Oh, okay. But anyway, Rob. We'll just call him Rob. Yeah. I'm serious. His acting in this season has been unbelievably good. Throughout this whole sequence in particular, just the whole him making the decision leading up to it. Uh Like, I was just in... Like, I was just totally invested in him the whole time because you could see him... You know, like being pulled in both directions yeah. the whole way through. And just so, and it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Cause he's trying to, you know, bear his soul to Jimmy and Jimmy tells him to get out of his room or he'll punch him. Yeah. And so finally, uh, they've been yelling and carrying on <laughs> right. for kind of a ridiculous amount of time. Yeah. But apparently that's how long it takes for Carson to put on his <laughs> dressing gown right. and come out into the hallway and yell about all the yelling. Mm hmm. So Thomas just tells that tells Carson that Jimmy James uh, yeah. uh, had a nightmare, but he's fine now. So then Carson goes to bed, and Alfred uh, and Thomas <laughs> sees Alfred lurking in the doorway of his bedroom, and like lit from the back, he looks exactly like O'Brien. Yeah, also super scary. Super like, scary. You could take that shot and slap it on a horror movie poster. Yeah, and it could just be called <laughs> Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that movie. <laughs> Sounds better than Out West or whatever that was. So it's breakfast the next morning. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and uh, Thomas offers Alfred and Jimmy some toast. But they've got the sober, hardened look of Midwestern defense of marriage types at this point, and they do not want his toast. Yes, they're like, we're not going to let you turn us gay with your toast, sir. <laughs> um, Anna, as well as Mrs. Hughes, as well as basically everyone, wonders what is going on. Alfred says that they should ask Mr. Barrow, uh, and Mr. Barrow says it's nothing. Uh, and then Mosley, doesn't seem like nothing. <laughs> then Ivy comes in. This with, is my favorite part of this episode. Because, uh, well, she hasn't got the memo that toast is unwelcome at this table, so she's brought some more. Uh, she, she brings in some more toast, and Jimmy says, Ho oh, ho, Ivy, never mind the toast. You're looking pretty tasty this morning. <laughs> Which is just... It's so inappropriate. And again, I'm super not convinced that this guy isn't gay. I know. It's still, I mean, yeah. I uh, seems to be on the table. I'm not saying that all gay people act the same. Right. I'm just saying that I really like this just seems like a case of, you know, the gentleman protesting too much. Yeah. I mean, why isn't he interested in Ivy? Like she's ready to go. Everybody else is like right now. Yeah. (laughs) Three weeks ago, she was ready. Yeah. Uh, She got a contraceptive douche. (laughs) Uh, in any case, Carson is shocked at this sort of thing going on. And Jimmy says, can a red-blooded man compliment a pretty girl? And Carson says, not at breakfast. <laughs> I only compliment pretty girls in tea time and later. Well, and brunch in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, everything is permissible at brunch no, in San Francisco. If we didn't do things at brunch <laughs> in the Bay Area, nothing would ever get done. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Ivy runs out from this suddenly bizarre world that she is in. Uh, Alfred stands to follow her. Uh, O'Brien asks Alfred what happened, and Alfred says he'll tell her later. Uh, and Carson says that he had better be told what's going on by the end of the day. 
Why is everyone so bad at keeping a secret? I, I know. Like so much of this would be better kept under wraps, and yet it's all just done out. Well, I mean, I think it's one of those things where, on some level, like Jimmy and Alfred, kind of don't want it to be secret. Like, not at the top of their minds, but there's a part of them that wants people to know about what happened. I mean, yeah, you know, we're social animals. We want to share information when we've got it. That's true. In any case. Also, Alfred's an idiot. So there's that. <laughs> Edith arrives to meet with her editor in London. She's wearing a delightful hat. She is. Her, she wears so many delightful hats. Mm-hmm. Her editor hopes that she's been persuaded, and he tries to tell her that all sort of toffs or, you know, upper crust people are writing for magazines these days to reassure her father. She says she doesn't think that's quite going to do the trick, uh, but he hopes that she'll make up her own mind, and she says, you know, she'll do her best. She tells him that she's staying with her aunt, Aunt Rosamond, mm-hmm. and uh, she'll be looking into the offices of the lady on her grandmother's behalf. But then he suggested they meet for lunch the following day at Rules to celebrate her accepting the job or he can be depressed about uh, her rejecting the job. Yes. Two things on that front. Uh, one, Edith is so much more confident and assured when she's not around her family. Yeah, she should really get away from them. Yeah. Uh, secondly, Rules is a restaurant in London that is, in fact, still a going concern. It is still there in London in the same spot by uh, Covent Garden. Uh, it was established in 1798. It is the oldest restaurant in London. Uh, and if you go to its website, you can read one of the worst poems you will ever find <laughs> that is all about rules, and it goes on for, like, ever. Who wrote it? It is by Joseph Cecil Wingard. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, here, I'll, I'll just give you the first stanza. Oh, come with me to Maiden Lane, where stands old Tom Rule's fair domain, a rendezvous for great and small, near Covent Garden and St. Paul, near theater and music hall, an evening out will long recall. There are about 30 more stanzas. That guy is horrible. I hope someone is defacing his tombstone (laughs) right now. That was written in 1998. What? Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Will someone please kill this guy and then deface this tombstone? 1998? Yeah. What was he, five? I, I don't know. Oh, my God. If No, if you were five, very well done. <laughs> you should be proud of yourself. Wow, I'm so upset. Yeah, in any case, that's uh, that's rules. They have. Well, they- I'm glad that at the time of Downton Abbey, that horrible poem didn't exist. <laughs> uh, they have very nice game by all accounts. In Lord Grantham's room, Thomas is dressing Lord Grantham, as is his job for the moment, and Lord Grantham notices that he's nervous, but assumes it's about the fact that uh, he might be losing his job. I can't tell if it's just sloppy storytelling, or if these people are really that in tune with each other's, like, state. You know what I mean? I think, yeah, I mean, I think if it's valet and uh, master or whatever, like, you're right up in each other's space all the time. Yeah, like you and that bed we share. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) it's after dinner apparently and matthew branson and mary are all looking over a map of the estate while carson chides jimmy and alfred for being all weird (laughs) 
Uh, McGee is wondering to Lord Grantham whether Murray will need luncheon <laughs> and remarks that the next day promises to be one of contrast because Murray will be there in the morning and in the evening, uh, Branson's brother will be coming to visit. Right. Also, ISIS. <laughs> yeah. So not like the usual days of harmony and accord right, that exactly. Downton is used to. Well, it's just going to have a broader socioeconomic sphere. That's true. Branson is telling Mary that, you know, going forward with Matthew's plan uh, is the only chance to make money on the estate. And Lord Grantham from across the room snipes, so says the Marxist. Oh, right. And Branson says that he has a very narrow view of socialism, whereas Lord Grantham thinks that Branson has a very broad view of socialism. Right. And I was like, literally, Lord Grantham, you do not understand what you're talking about. <laughs> the Dowager Countess changes the subject and asks if Branson knows anything about farming. And he mentions his sheep farmer grandfather as Carson once again asks Alfred and Jimmy if they've been up to something to which Alfred helpfully replies, not both of us. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this wasn't that hard. All the three of you had to say was nothing. Just don't say anything. And, also, and the problem like, is gone. At least Jimmy and Alfred get your damn story straight. Yeah. You know, yeah, but they don't have the same incentives either. I guess that's true. Um, also in this scene is where uh, the Dowager Countess referred to Branson as Branson. Uh-huh. And Mary says, Tom. <laughs> and just gives her this look that's yeah. really great. Because you really get the chance to give the Dowager yeah. Countess a look like that. She's, but she's difficult to zing. Yeah. In McGee's bedroom, it's pitch dark. So we're very confused by the scene for a moment. But she asks Lord Grantham if he's awake. Uh, and he can't sleep because he's still mad at Matthew. Uh, he turns the light on for this conversation. That lasts about 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> and and wishes that McGee was on his side. And just all the things that are going against him, including the thing with Edith. And she, McGee points out that even his mother was on Edith's side on this one. And he says, oh, there will be something in it for her. And she says, do you really think she's so Machiavellian? And Lord Grantham just says, yes. Also... Have you not been around? <laughs> like, are you really, like, maybe she's got memento disease. Yeah. But I'm like, don't you remember the first two seasons and, like, everything that happened? Yes. And how you used to be so adversarial? Anyway, at this point, having accomplished nothing and ruined their night vision. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Grantham turns the light out. Yes. It's the following day, and Edith has arrived at Rules for lunch with Mr. Gregson. The editor's name is Mr. Gregson. Yes. I don't think we learned that until this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says her errand for the Dowager Countess took longer than anticipated over at the offices of the lady. Yeah. He compliments Mary's glamorous wedding photos, which he saw in the paper, and uh, he, he says that he's rather pleased that Edith's not married. Well, Edith- he, he says that she looked very glamorous, and Edith says... Well, people say so. Yeah. Yeah. Edith did look more glamorous on her wedding day. It's true. She was much Uh, more in style. Yeah. So I'm just like, Edith, don't go back to Yorkshire. Yeah. Don't. Stay here. Yeah. You could be a hoe. No one would care. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, she tells him that she was jilted at the altar, and he says he's sorry. And she says, oh, don't pity me. You know, it's nice being around someone who doesn't think that I am an object of pity. Yeah. So anyway, basically, he he's like, oh, no, I've stuck my foot in my mouth, and now you're not going to take the job. And she's like, duh, I'm totally taking the job. Yeah. Did Why you do you not, think I showed up to rules? Did you not hear the striding happily into the future theme that they played as she walked in? <laughs> it, just sounded like the, it just sounded like the Smurfs theme song to me. <laughs> it's, it's similar. Uh, back in the library, Murray... And uh, Lord Grantham and Matthew and Jarvis are all gathered together. And Murray asks why Lord Grantham is being so resistant to changing the way Downton has been run. 
uh, pointing out that the various Earls have screwed the pooch in various ways up till now. Not Isis. <laughs> it says, I believe, the third Earl only managed to save the estate by dying. <laughs> Way to go, third Earl. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Matthew uh, says that they need to make it more productive and get rid of the waste. And Jarvis gets into quite the huff, like a shocking amount of huff, based on this fairly simple statement. Right. Uh, and quits. He's he's like, uh, will you give me a new notice? And then he's like, fine. I'm out of here to go be a Batman villain. You guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Batman villains this year. Yeah. He's because well, he says that he says that he's the old broom. Good luck with their sweeping. So now he's off to be the broom. Like he knows that new brooms are better than old brooms, right? Yeah, that's what he's saying. Is well, you know, the new brooms sweep out the old dirt or whatever, the old corners, and so he can't he can't sweep out these old corners. He's too old of a broom. Well, and he's just angry that he's been accused of malfeasance and corruption, which is not at which, all what happened. Right? He wasn't. Anyway. Uh, Jarvis uh, is uh, oddly sensitive and leaves. Good riddance, Jarvis. Yeah. I hate you. (laughs) Uh, Mrs. Hughes comes and knocks on the door of the Carson Cave amidst a lot of hooting and hollering. (laughs) Yeah. Which is very uncharacteristic. Right. Apparently, Branson's brother has arrived. (laughs) So, Mrs. Hughes comes in with Carson and, like, everybody's, like, laughing their asses off. Yeah. Uh, and so she said that she sent Alfred up to get Branson, who comes well, cause, down. Because Carson talks to, to, uh, Kieran like a six year old. He's like, yeah. can we fetch Mr. Branson for you? <laughs> How many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> so Branson comes downstairs with Mary, and he tries to get Kieran to come upstairs, but Kieran's like, why can't we stay down here? I'm I'm an Irish monkey. I want to eat with me fellow monkeys. <laughs> right. And Branson is quite upset. Uh, Mary tries to be diplomatic and says, oh, you know, we're all looking forward to meeting you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll show you your room. You can change if you want. We've been down this road before. <laughs> we know how you Irish people are about to change. You're worse than Jarvis. Yeah. Uh, no, that really was that if you want. Was yeah. Very nice. Uh, anyway, at this point, Branson gets serious mm-hmm. and he gets this like, dangerous look on his face and like where was that when you were burning down that castle man (laughs) so he tells that he tells kieran that his mother-in-law has been kind enough to invite him to stay and to dine with her and he will not allow her to snub her offer yeah so finally kieran agrees he gets up he just slaps mostly (laughs) on his shoulder (laughs) mostly is startled as usual right and goes upstairs with them yeah uh mrs hughes tries to preemptively cut off carson's inevitable disapproval about how branson would bring shame upon the family but for once carson says he found branson's defense of her ladyship's invitation exemplary Mm -hmm. and uh mrs hughes and anna marvel at the fact that mr branson has finally done something right right which is, uh, you know, he's just abandoned his principles like yeah. Carson always wanted him to do. Yeah, so. Yeah. Also note in this, it would appear, not from their appearances, but from their interaction, that Tom is the older Branson brother. Yeah, except that his brother seems so much older. Right, right. So, But it might be one of those weird situations, you know what I mean? Yeah. Occasionally that'll happen where the older sibling is not the one that tells the other ones what to do. Yeah, could be. I mean, Kieran appears to have been drunk since infancy. <laughs> right. So, it's hard to say. Yeah. 
Uh, up in Mary and Matthew's room, Mary asks how the meeting went, and Matthew collapses on the bed and says that it didn't go well. He lets her know that Jarvis is resigning. She's startled, naturally. He beckons her over, and she says that he will make her untidy, which, again, I'm like, Ugh, make you untidy. You are um, so gross today. I know. It's weird. <laughs> I'm not usually like that. No, it's usually my thing. I know. But yes, he explains to her that he thinks he can make Downton safe for their children and uh, if they have them and that, you know, her father can't. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. she should really kind of cut the old bastard loose. <laughs> um, uh, and Mary says that he should not – sh- you shouldn't say if we ever have any kids. After all, she's going to steal Sybil. Right. So that's, that's it's, true. It's been settled. Like that. <laughs> baby thief. Baby <laughs> Mary is a baby thief. <laughs> can she steal from a crib? <laughs> yes, she can. Baby thief. <laughs> <laughs> if she does not steal this baby, I'm going to be so effing disappointed. <laughs> well, we'll see. Nothing says Christmas special like baby stealing. <laughs> uh, O'Brien is talking with Alfred. Alfred, in his infinite dumb ginger <laughs> wisdom, has told his aunt O'Brien that he saw he saw Tom <laughs> kissing Jimmy Kent after the pictures last night. Yep. So O'Brien says that. He needs to tell Carson about the kiss heard around the servants' quarters, even though Alfred is skeptical about whether or not he should. But basically, O'Brien's argument is that if he doesn't tell Carson now, and Carson later finds out that Alfred knew about it all along, it right. could be trouble for Alfred, which right. he's not totally wrong about. Yeah. But again, like, if he didn't kiss anyone. Right. Like, God knows he's been trying. Yeah, like, he wouldn't get in serious trouble. Yeah. Edith gets dressed uh, for dinner and... Looks very happy. Things She's like are going, radiant. Yeah. Things are looking up for old Edith Crawley. Kieran is at dinner uh, rather belligerently explaining his uh, establishment. Uh, he calls it automobile refurbishment, yes. I believe, <laughs> to Lord Grantham. And he's explaining that uh, they have rooms over the garage and that there's a bit of a park nearby. And everybody's just like, these rooms over the garage, are they where you keep your horses? We're confused. <laughs> Um, yeah, like everybody is like, they're like, why don't you just have an estate? Yes. And, uh, the Dowager Countess tells a rather horribly inappropriate story about how one time she had to stay at a tradesman's hotel in Middlesbrough. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, this can't be as bad as that. It just can't. Yeah. Like that's not like Kieran isn't staying at this place for a night. He lives in this place. Yeah. But anyway. So that's all weird. Oh, I thought she was saying it reminded her of that, like, when she had to one time, like, eat dinner with a bunch of tradesmen. Oh, yeah. Well, that could be, I mean, you know, same sort of thing. Yeah. One time that you can barely remember is not much of a connection. But anyway. Uh, Mary asks who's coming to the christening, and McGee says that they're all going to go. And Lord Grantham says that Tom doesn't want him there, and he wouldn't know what to do anyway. All that bobbing up went down. He says he went to a mass one time in Rome, and it was more like a gymnastic display, which nobody appreciates except Kieran. Which is so accurate, because only people who've been to Catholic mass (laughs) can really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. No, Lord Grantham was really disappointed that that joke didn't go over. And it was one of the rare occasions I was like, oh, Lord, that was a fine joke, Lord Grantham. That, that, That should have gone over better. Um... 
But Branson says that he does want Lord Grantham there because Sybil would want him there. She loved him with all her heart, and he knows that she would want him to be there. Uh, Lord Grantham has no response to that. Uh, Matthew asks Edith how she got on in London, and she announces that she's taken the author. She is now a journalist. Dowager Countess says, well... Uh, why not? We have a mechanic and account and a uh, country solicitor <laughs> in the family. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Edith says that the editor was very nice, and Mary picks up on what she means by very nice. Which is bearing any striking resemblance to Sir Anthony Strallen. <laughs> it's but true. not quite as old or crippled. Yeah. Oh, like a way improved version. Oh, yeah. Like, let's not slight Mr. Grace yes, in here. very attractive to you. Yeah. So O'Brien confirms with Alfred uh, on the stairs that Alfred is going to fink on Thomas and Jimmy. And then she gets all Old Testament about it. And yeah. she's like, oh, he sinned against God and man. And now you get to just sit back and watch his fall. And I'm like, isn't that more your kind of thing? <laughs> right. Like, that's really more your kind of thing. Like, Alfred yeah. just wants to make out with Ivy. Yeah. Like, that's... And he can't even do that. No. In the drawing room, Edith tells Isabel... Edith tells Isabel that she and the Dowager Countess have placed an advertisement for Ethel, or on Ethel's behalf, in the lady, looking to find a different position for her other than local whore cook. Um, <laughs> Where's that Craigslist post? <laughs> Wanted. Whore cook. <laughs> uh, and Isabel is put out... Um, but Isabel's put out that they would do this without insulting her and that sort of thing. And uh, Well, she says that the Dowager could never uh, really care about anyone like Ethel. Right. That's what it is. Because she thinks it's all about the, the right. scandal and well, yeah, the miasma. Right. They're saying that Ethel will be happier somewhere where not everybody knows that she's a prostitute, which and you know, makes I, perfect sense. I do have sense. to agree that possibly having a situation where you're not crying alone in the rain. Right. Well, and Isabel's whole plan that she said at the beginning was that when she moved on, she would have a respectable reference. Uh-huh. That was always the plan. But, you know, Isabel's just, you know. She's dumb, dumb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so she says that the Dowager Countess couldn't care about anyone like that. And the Dowager Countess thinks that she's been reading those communist newspapers again. Which is a pretty solid burn. I suppose. I think I think that the Dowager Countess just assumes that the communist newspapers were writing about her all the time. <laughs> Yeah. The Dowager Communist. <laughs> rich lady still rich. <laughs> Meanwhile, across the room, Kieran asks if they have any beer. And Branson is appalled at his brother's stereotypical Irish drunkenness, as are most of us. Like, did he have to be like this? You don't like beer? I love it. If you were at a rich person's place and you could have whatever you wanted, you wouldn't necessarily ask for beer? I would ask for all the things. <laughs> well, sure. At any rate, Lord Grantham has overheard this and is uh, there petting Isis <laughs> and wonders aloud to McGee if they'll have a chorus of Molly Malone before they go to bed. Say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> it's a really good time, actually. <laughs> so McGee points out that Lord Grantham is the one pushing Branson into his brother's arms, which... I'm not sure that that's what Lord Grantham was talking about. <laughs> Pretty sure he mainly was pissed off that an Irish person was drinking beer in his house. Right. It's understandable. He was like, it's a bit on the nose, don't you think, Isis? There hasn't been an Irishman drinking beer in here since 1823. <laughs> and we killed that chap. 
Right now, so we learned it was Catholic. <laughs> uh, the Dowager Countess asks Carson to have Mrs. Hughes meet her in the hallway. Uh, he says that he will be back shortly with the beer for Kieran. And Kieran announces that, hey, Downton's not so bad after all. <laughs> That's what they all say, Kieran. <laughs> Before you know it, they're wearing tuxedos. Mary's stealing your baby. <laughs> downstairs, where the servants hang out. Yes. Carson tells Mrs. Hughes to go upstairs, and then uh, Jimmy and Alfred come downstairs. Alfred tells Carson that he wants a word with him. And then, uh, and then mostly appears behind them, making a weird face. Like, is he like in an improv class or something? Right. Is he prom- practicing always saying yes? <laughs> so anyway, Carson sees him and he's like, "All right, Alfred, let's go this way." <laughs> it's just very odd yeah. that moment. Upstairs, the Dowager Countess, having met uh, Mrs. Hughes, has arrived and asks. She asks Mrs. Hughes to tell Isabel her Mrs. Hughes' opinion about whether Ethel would be happier elsewhere. And Mrs. Hughes agrees that she would be, as does Edith. Uh, And Isabel is quite put out. Well, she's just angry that they would do it behind your back. But it's like, what are they supposed to do it in front of your meddlesome schnoz? (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Um, But Mrs. Hughes points out that she might be better off not always reenacting her own version of the Scarlet Letter. And uh, uh, the Dowager Countess asks, what is the Scarlet Letter? Edith, the journalist that she is, answers that it's a novel by Nathaniel Hawthorne, and uh, the Dowager Countess says that it sounds most unsuitable. It is. That and The Red Badge of Courage are the worst books in the English language. Right. This is fine. I just want to say, that's a that's a tall order from the science fiction reader of the group to be like, oh, this classic of literature is so unsuitable. No, I think that it's that she thinks that the subject matter is unsuitable. I know. All right. I just think uh, she reads way worse books. I don't think it's about the quality of the book. I think it's about the subject matter. H.G. Wells never wrote about adultery. That you know of. He didn't. I would have found out about it by now. Oh, you would have? I would think so. You're an expert on the works of H.G. Wells? No, but you would have told me. (laughs) I've never read any of his books. Well, then fuck you. All right, all right. In the Carson Cave, Alfred classily rats out Thomas. Uh, and, you know, he says he thinks that Jimmy didn't have any idea, although, you know, his aunt said that maybe it was just an act. Right. And Carson says, oh, leave it to your aunt to take the ungenerous view, mm-hmm. which is like, I don't understand why nobody has just like slapped Alfred. I mean, like, okay, I know she's your aunt, but <laughs> seriously, you're not making any friends here. Yeah. So Carson tells Alfred to keep everything under his hat. And uh, it's a tough world out there, but he's a man and he must learn to take it on the chin. Which I'm like, isn't that what we're trying to avoid You mean penises, Mr. Carson. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, I do, Alfred. (laughs) Penises. (laughs) I would love to just hear Carson say the word penis. Uh, It won't happen. I know. (laughs) I know this is just a pipe dream. You could get hammered sometime. (laughs) Isabel comes back home and uh, comes into Ethel's kitchen to let her know that she's back. Uh, And she says that she's going straight to bed, but then doesn't and stops and asks Ethel if she's happy. And she says that she supposes she's happy compared to where she was. And Isabel's like, "Uh, all right, bye. 
And Ethel's like, uh, you know, I'd be happier. You know what would make me happy? If you could just sort of hint darkly about me and then leave without explaining. Yeah. That delights me. <laughs> Poor Ginger. Please continue planning my life without my input. That would be great. Well, see, the problem is that Isabel feels like that's what's happening to her. She's just perpetuating the cycle of abuse. Yeah, well. Up in the drawing room, the Dowager Countess is still there, despite the fact that the young people have all gone to bed. Uh, however, I would say that at least two of the young people are knocking boots. <laughs> so they're going to go to bed as early as possible. Right. Oh, God, what a horrible, awkward situation. Yeah. At any rate, uh, she discusses with Lord Grantham the fact that Jarvis is leaving, and she mentions, you know, he managed the estate for 40 years, and he was, you know, his father's man, and never really viewed Lord Grantham as anything other than the young master. Mm-hmm. So then the Dowager Countess suggests the obvious solution, which I will admit I did not think of. Right. Uh, which would be giving the position of a state agent to Branson. Yeah. Uh, primarily so that she can call him Branson again. <laughs> right. But McGee hopefully points out that he and uh, Matthew are the same age. They can, you know, talk about their ideas and implement them. And uh, Lord Grantham says he'll give it a shot, but they have to be willing to admit it when it is discovered that they were wrong. And the Dowager Countess says that that's easy, for she is never wrong. Yes. And it's a very, like, it's a very cliche Dowager Countess line, but very enjoyable nonetheless. Indeed. Down in the Carson cave, Carson is yelling at Thomas, telling him that, you know, he should be horsewhipped. Who's gay now? <laughs> um, and Thomas explains that, he was wrong about Jimmy. He he thought that Jimmy had an interest, but that he was wrong about that, and that was all his fault. And that nothing happened. Right, and that nothing happened. Uh, that he had just kissed him, and then that, that was the end of it. Uh, which, again, both Thomas and Alfred, very clear that Jimmy was not involved yeah. when neither of them necessarily had to be. Mm-hmm. So Carson says that uh, he will, you know, he will consider the situation. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's, it's a good scene. Again, again, Rob James Collier, really good in this scene as well. Just, you know, he knows that he can't defend himself in the way that he feels he should be able to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he knows what he's up against. And he, I mean, he just he just handles it so classily, mm-hmm. really, given the situation that he's in. Like he's, you know, frightened and desperate and all that sort of thing. But he... You've got to figure he's planned this out. Yeah, yeah. You know, at least the night of, mm-hmm. he, he saw it coming. Um, in any case, he, he will uh, consider it and he will find out what Jimmy wants to do as he would be within his rights to go to the police. Although he then says, although I'm sure it won't come to that. Which is kind of, cla- like, Carson, you know, to our modern sensibilities, comes across very poorly in this. Yeah. However, he is very clear with Thomas that he, Carson, is going to do everything he can to kind of mitigate things on his behalf. Right. Well, and just, he expresses his disgust. He is disgusted with what Thomas did, and he's not, makes no bones about that. But I think it's clear that he does not, that doesn't change whatever else he may have felt about other aspects of Thomas's personality, you know? Yeah. Whatever other good qualities Thomas may have still had, Carson is still willing to see them, but he's not going to approve this ever. No. That's not going to happen. So yeah, Thomas goes out and Mrs. Hughes comes in and says that Mr. Barrow looks rather grim-faced. Uh, and 
Uh, Carson says that the human nature is a funny business, isn't it? And she says, "Now, why didn't the poets come to you, Mister Carson? They'd have saved themselves a lot of time and trouble." <laughs> I'm so bad at doing her voice. I know, I know. But it's like that's like a dowager countess line. It is, and just her continued just lack of respect for Mr. Carson is <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah. You know, I mean, she does respect him as a colleague, but like whenever mm-hmm. he tries to like wax philosophical, she's like, what the shit are you talking about, man? Mm-hmm. Like you live up in your stupid white tower. Yeah. You've never really been a person mm-hmm. despite his time with a cheerful Charlie. <laughs> right. It's the next day. They are at the church in Ripon. And a uh, photographer who looks like Piglet is there to take snaps of the family mm-hmm. on this momentous yeah. yet heathen occasion. Yeah. Also, bizarrely sad music. It during is. This I scene. think the point is that they're doing this, and Sybil's not there because Edith I, brings it up. But. Yeah, that's true. It just it struck me as like it's it's a christening. Come on. Uh, it's the, a bombed out christening. Tom. The baby. It is a baby. That baby is cute, by the way. Yes, it we is. We failed to mention the right. squealing that happened. <laughs> yes. In our house, because uh, her head still looks kind of huge, but then when but, they show her like face, you're yeah. like, oh my god, that baby's so cute. Yes, yeah. such cute baby. Very cute. Anyway, Mary Edith and McGee have all worn the same hideous shade of purple to the christening right. for reasons we couldn't figure out. Yeah, was that like it's a not thing? a Catholic thing that we know of unless right. they make Anglicans wear that. <laughs> They're like, listen, if you don't wear a washed out purpley collar, we will baptize you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, McGee announces to the to the other girls that uh, she's certain that Sybil is watching down on them from heaven. Mary is not certain. Yeah. Because she's the best. <laughs> uh, Branson takes this opportunity of getting his photo taken at his child's right. christening to discuss Lord Grantham's job offer as a state agent because apparently Lord Grantham brought it up while baby Sybil was being anointed with chrism. <laughs> uh, he wasn't aware of the significance of the sacred oil, so he just right. was like, oh, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, I, I thought this christening was going to go on for several days. I didn't know how it worked. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Lord Grantham tells uh, Branson that he should consider the position a christening gift from Sybil. Not clear which, like, the dead one or right. the living one. Again, that's why it was a bad idea. And, <laughs> no, and, like, shouldn't the living one not have, like, the living one should get christening gifts. She should not have to give them out. Yeah, that's, yeah. Anyway, Matthew says he likes the idea because, like, Matthew's just like a rubber stamp in the latter part of this episode. <laughs> He's just like, yes, I agree with the dandy. <laughs> Uh, the photographer wants to get a photo of Lord Grantham and the Dowager Countess. And also, he's like, and what about Father Dominic? Who christened the baby? And then <laughs> Father Dominic comes up going, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Ave Maria, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I want there to be a Catholic action film. <laughs> They would never call it that. No, they wouldn't. But that would be hilarious. Yes. So that brings us to the end of that episode, which is technically episode seven. Right. According to our DVD. Which is what we're going by. Yeah. These uh, two episodes weren't even on the same disc of our DVD. No, they weren't, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway. So, best evasion. Not a ton of evasions in this yeah, episode. Surprisingly direct. Yeah. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. It's not what we're accustomed to. Yeah. Uh, but I think we, we are going to go ahead and give that one to Jarvis. Mm-hmm. For evading his duties. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as, Apparently for as, the last 40 years. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> that's kind of retroactive yeah. as well. And uh, he's going to get a good reference out of that. He sure so. is, which is more than we can say for uh spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so well played, Broom. <laughs> uh, next up is Best Overbite, mm-hmm. uh, which we're going to give to the unseen Mrs. Bakewell <laughs> for her persistent hatred of hoe bags. Yes. We can only assume that it was overbitey. Uh, next we've got Worst Decision. Uh, this one, a pretty, pretty simple one. It's Thomas. Yeah. For kissing Jimmy Ken. Don't kiss Jimmy Ken. Yeah. Never are, kiss Jimmy Ken. We can all understand why you would be tempted to do so. Jimmy Ken's kisses cure cancer, <laughs> but he never kisses anyone. <laughs> and next up for the Gibson Girl Award, we're actually giving this one to Mrs. Hughes. Yeah. I've noticed her new bodice, the white one with the black work, uh, embroidery work on it, mm-hmm. and it looks really sharp. It does. She just, she seems like she stepped up her game, sartorially speaking, this yeah. series. Yeah. And this was a good episode. There wasn't a whole lot else going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, giving some love, Gibson-wise, to the downstairs folks. That's right. Uh, then we have the Fashion Backwards Award for Backwards Fashion. A.K.A. the Backy. That's right. Uh, this is a group win this time. It is for McGee, Mary, and Edith for their christening attire. What the hell? Like, Do they want that baby to be sad? <laughs> no, I know. Like, I was sad. <laughs> You're still sad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And finally, the Maggie Smith scale of Maggie Smiths. Mm-hmm. Uh, solid effort. Not yeah. super great. Not super great. There was that unnecessary slam on Ethel. Uh-huh. I mean, she got some zingers in. She did. But uh, we're going to just go with a three here. Yeah. It doesn't really seem. Middle of the road. Yeah. Middle of the road. We don't feel, we don't feel anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that does it for uh, episode seven. Yeah. So until next time, up, up yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon. Back right now. Yeah. It's next time, people. It is next time already. Yeah. Welcome back to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that works harder than a slave. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. Now we can start making babies. <laughs> you can do that by yourself. <laughs> I actually can't. I'm not sure if you're aware how babies work. Uh, no, how? It's like something about like a, like a, you have a shower and then a stork and then... Um, we'll, we'll discuss this Something later. hatches, right? <laughs> I, I don't wish to... Uh, <laughs> spoil alert for any children out there. This is where <laughs> babies come from. All right. All right. But back on the show, old Mr. Mosley is, we haven't seen her in a while. That's no, exciting. No, not since he uh, trounced the Dowager at the flower show. Yeah. Uh, but he is now out overseeing the cricket field, uh, which is being uh, maintained by somebody with some sort of like grass Zamboni sort of thing. Maybe um, it's that farmer. I could be. Uh, but he is wondering if the house team is being taken seriously. Uh, and young Molesley says, oh, Lord Grantham is very serious about it. So they're apparently going to be playing cricket. Who knew? I did not. Nor I. Back in the Carson cave, Carson is telling Thomas that Mr. Bates has had his quote unquote rest and would like to get back to work. It turns out he can't read. So that advice didn't work out. Carson tells Thomas that he finds his situation revolting, but he can see that it is not Thomas's fault, that he's been twisted into something foul. He encourages Thomas to resign quietly, and he says that he will give him a good reference. Uh, he says that Thomas will dress Lord Grantham that evening and then turn everything over to Bates the next day. 
Thomas goes to leave, but he stops to inform Carson that he's not foul. And Carson's all, shh, I have to go ring the dressing gong. <laughs> so he leaves the office where Miss O'Brien is standing there, not even attempting to hide the right. fact that she's eavesdropping. Yeah. Carson tells her it's time to stop eavesdropping and do some work. And she starts to protest. And she's yeah. like, no, you know what? You're right. Yeah. It's a fair That's cop. on me. <laughs> I wasn't eavesdropping. I was spying. <laughs> Much more difficult. I've been watching The Americans on FX. <laughs> Watch The Americans on FX. We recommend it. Uh, McGee is taking her embroidering to the library. Needs a change of, <laughs> change of scenery there. Uh, and she asks Lord Grantham about the cricket team uh, in a very patronizing way, which I enjoy. Her and, and the daughters are all very like, oh, you and your silly little cricket. Uh-huh. He is relieved that they still have Thomas. He apparently scored most of their runs when they got trounced last year. He's going to make sure that they hang on to him until after the match. Uh, it is wondered why he's the captain of the house team, since he owns both the house and the village. But he's he's just the captain of the house team. and uh, McG- He does live in the house. He right. doesn't live in the village. Which is a very good point. Uh, and uh, McGee, I believe, says that... Is it McGee that says he yeah, should? Yeah, she says he should captain the village team because <laughs> they always win. Right. He says, not always. Mary is not participating in this conversation. She is staring conspicuously into the middle distance. <laughs> Lord Grantham asks what her deal is. Uh, she is just tired out from her trip to London, apparently. McGee is... McGee gives her a weird McGee look. <laughs> to me, it was like... One of us, one of us, one of us. Like, Mary is now turning into a weird, droopy-eyed married woman who talks very strangely. Let me teach you how to embroider. Do you like cats? (laughs) McGee, like, this is the thing. You know, people talk about cat ladies as if, like, people become cat ladies because they don't get married. No, that is not true. You're born a cat lady. If you marry a person, fine. Your cat lady tendencies just get warped and perverted into, say, like, embroidering all of those pillows and talking like this. So maybe it's better for some cat ladies to stay single. It could be. Down in the servants' hall, Jimmy notices the time and says, Crikey! <laughs> and uh, fun fact... We had it paused on this scene on our uh, DVD player, and it looked as if, with the subtitles on it, the clock itself was saying, <laughs> crikey. Yeah. It was a Beauty and the Beast situation yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so he's got to go do something. But then O'Brien's like, by the way, you really need to uh, speak out about Thomas. He's going to be let go. Uh, so if you don't want people to think you're a queer, you really might want to address your anger right. or something like that. Matthew finds Anna, who is outside of Mary's door, and Anna says that McGee is in the room with Anna or with Mary, making her late. Matthew says, "Well, I'll go in. After all, I own Mary now." <laughs> and, and McGee, technically. Well, yeah, yeah. And uh, McGee is telling Mary that she couldn't be in better hands than Doctor Writers, which apparently, based on ensuing events, Matthew doesn't hear. Even though in the scene it seems very clear that he should have overheard. That. I think he did hear it. Well, but then... I think he did hear it. Okay. Well, we'll discuss as as it goes on. Um, uh, Matthew kicks out McGee and wants to know what they were talking about, which is apparently women's stuff. So that closes that subject. One thing I'm curious about, which we ought to investigate, I feel like the use of the word stuff 
has really increased in this season, hmm. much like the word golly. Interesting. Uh, I'm just, I'm curious sort of on the, the etymological history of that. Right, because right. I feel like people weren't saying stuff so frequently yeah. in the first two series. But now hmm. Mary has been saying, Mary says stuff. That would be a good drinking game. <laughs> Every time Mary says stuff, you have to drink. All right. Tom's drinking right now. <laughs> yes, Mary brings up the cricket match that everybody is suddenly talking about. And this must be particularly, it wasn't so jarring for us because we were watching these as separate episodes. That's true. And just as one episode, it's like, nobody's ever mentioned cricket. Everybody's talking about cricket. Anyway. Anytime there's not any cricket on screen, people should be saying, where's the cricket? <laughs> Matthew uh, says that Bates must feel like he's lucky to be out of the cricket. And Anna says that he'd probably rather, you know, walk. But, yeah, that's a good thought. And uh, <laughs> It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Matthew sort of stumbles over himself and uh, Anna's just like, I, I was like, making fun of you. Dude. No, she's cracking up. Yeah. Fresh off of her uh, tight five on Bates' disability, <laughs> uh, Anna runs downstairs looking very happy. Uh, while Mosley bores Mrs. Patmore to tears, talking about his deep and abiding understanding of cricket. Not love of. Yeah. Understanding. It's in his blood, you see. Yeah. His dad's apparently a big cricket dude, so Mosley felt that he had to be a big cricket dude. He right. feels you can't gain that appreciation unless you grew up with it, yeah. as he did. Right. Uh, Daisy wants to know why he's never played in the match before. <laughs> Molesley said he couldn't have played for the house before this year, and he certainly couldn't play for the village. And then he just, like, laughs. It, it's almost right. like that scene in Pinocchio where they're all turning into donkeys. <laughs> yeah. But, like, they're still trying to stop it. Yeah. So why couldn't you play for the village? But, the, but I mean, I think the implication is that he's not good enough, but, like, I don't know why he would... Right. It's just, it's just weird. It's just the usual you know, Mosley bizarre. Sometimes I think maybe Mosley's the real Mary Sue for, <laughs> for Baron Julian Fellows. Well, the other question I have about Mosley is, do you have a job, per se? Yeah, because he's the valet for Matthew. I know that, but he spends all his time like making funny faces and talking about cricket. That's true. Well, everybody's got to have a hobby. Yeah, true enough. Uh, Ivy and Daisy and Mrs. Patton were all kind of making fun of him. Uh, and Ivy says, oh, they'll have to start a fan club for Mr. Molesley. <laughs> and he says, oh, he just wants to do well for the house. And Mrs. Patmore compliments him on his humility. And then they all laugh behind his back as he leaves with a stack of linens. Yeah. It is enjoyable seeing everybody laugh at him. Oh, yeah, totally. Like that part. Up in a drawing room, I think, Edith is reviewing her article for the week. Uh, it is apparently about the plight of unemployed soldiers after the war. Uh, they're struggling, apparently, and some of them have even – some of the officers have taken to hiring themselves as out as dance partners in night halls, which which we talked about in a recent mm-hmm. fashion backwards. And uh, Matthew says that after the trenches, that must seem like an improvement. And Edith says that he shouldn't make – she Edith says that he shouldn't make fun of them like that. And Mary's like, oh, she's forgotten that you, she wasn't in the trenches and you were – and it's all very odd. It is really weird because it's like, hey, Matthew, why are you being a dick? Right. Like, these are people that you fought with and under. Right. And they have not been provided for so, you know, yeah. marvelously and, you know, suspension, disbelief, destroyingly as you have. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, why didn't they just have their injuries miraculously healed and marry an heiress? Like, that's what I did. It worked out great for me. No, not only that... 
jilted somebody else <laughs> right. died whose dad then gave him all this money uh, yeah anyway yeah but Ben, it's like, why are you mad at her for having an interest in social welfare? <laughs> like these people, you know, are, you know, in dire straits. Some of them, she yeah. wants to draw attention to it. God. But the like, dicks. They've, they've just decided that they're just going to hole up in Downton Abbey and be assholes forever. That's, uh, you know, it's worked for generations of Granthams before them. You mean Crawleys. Yes. Yeah. The Dowager Countess comes in and she's telling McGee and Isabel that she'll be keeping an eye on her 18-year-old niece, Rose, uh, who evidently hates London and, oh, gee, is the daughter of Shrimpy. 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 Oh, my God. Oh, if we get to see Shrimpy. It'd be so exciting. I would be so excited. If it's even possible. I assume he's very short. Right? Yeah. I want to know why he's called Shrimpy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Apparently- Maybe he just likes shrimp. Could be. Uh, but yeah, apparently he, uh, or this, this girl, uh, hates London and wants to move to Yorkshire. Everybody's very confused. Yeah, like, well, come on. Isabel, and I noticed this the second time around, Isabel's like, oh, that's original. Yeah. Like, cause it just seems clear that everything is not what it seems with uh, this. Come on. All 18 year old girls love sheep and crushing <laughs> boredom. Yeah, they read <laughs> The Secret Garden as children and they can't wait to live it. That's right. Excuse me. Where's a young country boy that can teach me how to live? <laughs> Uh, they all died in the war. <laughs> <laughs> I say, how irregular. <laughs> Come to my garden. I'm just going to sing the score from the Secret Garden musical underneath the rest of this recap. I hope that's not true. <laughs> but I'm not certain. She has her eyes, she has my lilies. So Branson is attempting to get out of playing cricket. He's expected to play for the house team, of course, being a member of the household. But his excuse, and not a terrible excuse, is that he's never played cricket. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll stop now. I just wanted to prove that I could. I think I made my point. I think you did. Branson does not want to play on the cricket team. Man, we really need to get a guest in here, man. <laughs> we too. It's we're going, starting to get really like we're getting a little biodome stir in here. crazy. Yeah, <laughs> there's trouble on the bubble. Look, everyone, we just want you to know that we would have had a guest before now, but nobody's caught up. Yeah, yeah, we have been. We have actually been trying, and it just hasn't. We haven't been able to make it happen yet. They'd have to watch all of series two. Yeah, and then series three, and just. Yeah, so we'd that's... love to pull a Clockwork Orange on someone. We really would, but <laughs> right. we just can't. Yeah, we don't have the technology. Yeah, but so hopefully once hiatus rolls around, it'll be easier. Yeah, it'll to... be a little more exciting. Yeah, yeah. We're sorry for boring you to tears, <laughs> as always. Um, yeah, Branson doesn't want to play cricket because he never has before. The end. To be fair, I think that sounded better with the music underneath it. <laughs> yeah, I think it might have. Down in the kitchen, Jimmy picks up either a fish or a pudding, and I'm really <laughs> disturbed by the fact that I can't tell which it is. Right. And uh, O'Brien grabs Jimmy and tells him to tell Carson that he needs to fire Thomas without a reference, or people will definitely think that he's gay. Uh, Bates and Mrs. Patmore both overhear this. Right. This is my criticism from the last episode, yeah. which carries forward here. It's like, I realize that... Look, Miss O'Brien has been one of the more successful schemers yeah. on the show. Yeah. Don't have a conversation about something 
Like that's that is secret. Yeah, that's blackmail right. for something that's illegal in front of a bunch of people. Yeah, that's not how secrets work. Yeah, secret secrets are no fun unless you share with only one person and then you kill them. <laughs> that is the safest way. Yes. Lord Grantham wonders if it wouldn't be better if Rose, the 18-year-old, stayed at their house, at the main house, but the Dowager Countess insists that it's going to be great fun. Uh, Isabel says that she wouldn't be able to understand anything an 18-year-old had to say, which, to be fair, she can't understand anything anybody else says either. Yeah. Uh, but the Dowager Countess says that her husband was a great traveler, so she spent many happy evenings without understanding a word. The key is to always smile and nod and never look as though you disapprove. Yes. Uh, also, did she change her pills? Right. Because she often looks as if she disapproves. And also, just she seems so excited about this. And it's like it shouldn't be that exciting. Well, I mean, yes and no. Like... She I doesn't guess she doesn't have, have anything else yeah, going on. Yeah, like what's what's exciting? Edith in her occasionally life? comes to bring her, you know, perfume and <laughs> right. make her tell her stuff. You know, Rose is somebody that hasn't disappointed her yet. That's true. Up in Lord Grantham's dressing room, he tells Bates that he'll see him on duty the next day. Bates, I assume, is there to get something to right. do stuff with. Yeah, and then you know he tells Thomas. That he wishes them every good fortune Mm -hmm. in the future. Uh, So Lord Grantham leaves, and then uh, Thomas sort of tells Bates, to the victor go the spoils. Yeah. And Bates is like, oh, what are you going to do? And Thomas is like, what do you care? And it's all very, it's kind of refreshing, though. Like, it is kind of dumb, but at the same time, you're like, oh, yeah, there used to be conflict on this show. (laughs) Right, right. Like, you know, that was just rooted in people not liking each other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Up in Matthew and Mary's room, Matthew tells Mary that they just need to buy out a few more parcels and uh, Downton will be a real business. And he thinks that the cricket has come at a good time. And Mary's like, oh, because if you, you, you score a few runs, then Lord Grantham will agree to everything. But he says it's because it will show Lord Grantham that they can still keep up the old traditions even as they modern, modernize Downton. Uh, Mary wants to know if she is supposed to help persuade her father, and Matthew says that yes, because she is on his team now. Uh, Mary says that Matthew can kiss her, but that's it. That's all that she is willing to put up with from her husband, apparently. Uh, He's sad about that. Yeah, he wanted to give her a really good soliciting. (laughs) It's it's what he does. Mm -hmm. He's good at his job. Yeah. Uh, And at this point, by the way, I mean, obviously now I know what's going on. I was so confused by this whole That's been the thing. problem with the whole plot line between these two. I like, was like, did one of them give the other one syphilis? Like, <laughs> what is going on? More like Sybilis. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make sense. That's code for baby stealing. Oh. Downstairs, Jimmy swings by the Carson cave to find out if Thomas is really leaving. And Carson says yes and tells Jimmy... That uh, Thomas is really sorry about what happened. It was all just a big misunderstanding. But Jimmy tells Carson that he wants to make certain that Thomas gets a bad reference and that he will report Thomas to the police if Carson does not give Thomas a bad reference. Yeah. So. Look, Carson spends a lot of his time being affronted at things. But this one was like top level affrontedness. Yeah. He could not believe that 
Jimmy would presume to tell him what sort of reference he could write. Uh-huh. And no, and he was like, he wanted to read it. He wanted like yeah. all of these things. And well, even in today's modern world, if another per, I wouldn't even let a person that I wrote a reference for read a reference <laughs> right. letter in certain situations. Mm-hmm. You forget yourself, Mister Kent. <laughs> A car pull, pulls up to Crawley House. Buoyed by the energetic scoring of youth. Yes. The future is here, and her name is Rose. Uh, she gets out looking young and fresh. Uh, Isab- and Ashley's surprisingly excited to be in Yorkshire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Isabel tells Rose and the Dowager Countess that Ethel will bring them in some coffee. And Rose is like, oh, I can't have coffee. And Isabel's like, do you want something else? And she was like, oh, no, give me the coffee. Um, my mother will never know. And she says, uh, she makes a comment about how her father works harder than a slave at his job. He's nailed to his desk. And Isabel says, I don't think he works harder than a slave. Which and, no one does. Right. And also there's no slaves anymore. Right. And so the Maggie Smith says, Isabel is very literal. Yeah. Uh, which is, I enjoyed that reading there. Uh, and she, the Dowager kind of starts to pull something out of her purse, but then Ethel comes in and she, she, Puts it back. Isabel says that she will pour the coffee herself, allowing Ethel leaves so that the Dowager Countess can give her the first responses to the ad for Ethel that have arrived. Isabel says that that Dowager Countess would never let convenience... Well, she explains to Rose that the Dowager Countess has placed the ad to find a different job for her cook, and Rose says it must be very inconvenient. And Isabel says that Cousin Violet has never allowed a matter of convenience to stand in the way of principle. And then the Dowager Countess says, said the kettle to the pot. Yeah. Or the pot to the kettle. Right. Whichever. But it doesn't matter. Uh, It's really a great scene between the two of them. It is. And I really like Rose a lot, by the way. Like, not necessarily anything about the character or the actor, like, that's very specific to her, but just the, the way she is representing a new world and a new generation. Definitely. It's so, like, it's so unmistakable. Like, just mm-hmm. the way she talks, the way she constructs her sentences, well, and the I mean, way she looks around. No, is, and just, and, and her look and her mm-hmm. attitude, it's all very different. Yeah. It's just, it is. It's, and it's also the difference between being urban and being, uh, rural. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, you know, the new generation has arrived in London and has mm-hmm. not arrived in Yorkshire. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the Carson cave. There's a lot happening in the Carson cave this episode. Thomas is in tears. Yeah. Uh, meaning I'm in tears inexplicably. Again, how did we get here? I, uh, yeah. But, you know, realizing that without a reference, he's never going to get another job. Mm-hmm. He's been working at Downton for 10 years. Yeah. And, you know, you can't go even today. Right. You can't go and be like, oh, yeah, 10 years, not doing anything. Yeah. Don't, don't ask them. Yeah. No, it's, that's, uh, so he says he'll tell Lord Grantham about it, but Carson wonders how he'll manage that without revealing the whole sordid business. And then Thomas insists that someone must have put Jimmy up to this, that he'd never be so unkind all on his own. Mm-hmm. And Carson is touched that he would defend Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just does break my heart, though, because I'm yeah. like, oh, I know where you're going because I've been there myself. <laughs> yeah. He's not a good person. Yeah. But Thomas asks Carson if he can just stay on at Downton for a few days until he comes up with a plan. And Carson says he'll allow it. And he just – he looks very conflicted. He's, yeah. He's not happy. He's had his control and his power wrested away from him. Yeah. Not, not coincidentally by a member of the younger generation. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I like, again, not to be a broken record about Mr. James Collier, but the thing about it is because the thing that he's playing in this episode is something that he's actually played over and over again of Thomas being like in an, in an impossibly tight corner with no way out. Uh-huh. But he just – he's really stepped up his game. Mm-hmm. Like it's just so much more convincing now. It's very, very good. Yeah. Uh, Base and Anna look around their new cottage. It is not prepossessing. No. It is not a cute cottage. No. The the best they can say is that it doesn't smell damp. Uh, but Anna thinks it will nice it will will be nice once they manage to get it painted. And he says that if she's there, it's nice. He grabs whatever she's holding and hurls it aside and says, Come here and kisses her and they fall onto a sofa and it's 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 actually pretty cute. Yeah. We're really glad Bates is out of prison. Yeah. Much as we hate to admit it. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, we we are. And he also says that he will paint, but Anna says he's not climbing any ladders. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you do know he climbs like 500 stairs a day. Yeah. As his job. Yeah. Anyway. Well, maybe she just wants to give him a break. Yeah. Yeah. At dinner, Mary says, we'll have to think of some things to do while Rose is visiting. I hope you like bickering. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Grantham tells Edith to take Rose to the Whitby on Wednesday, but Edith is going to London that day. Uh, Rose lights up and goes, oh, I want to go to London. Everybody's like, whoa, (laughs) we heard from your mom that you hate London. And she's like, well, yeah, I do. I have the least convincing story ever, if that helps. Yeah, and nobody's buying it. And yet they, but I mean, it's the same, like... It's the same thing, like, you're like, oh, we're really not actually responsible for you. Right. Like, your mom seems to think that this will help, but it's not going to. So we're just going to keep you here until she proves you. Well, it's like, the mom didn't say, make sure and keep her here. She was like, oh, she doesn't like, like, if the mom had been honest. No, exactly. You know, then that would be a different story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Edith says she can come with her and stay at Aunt Rosamond's house, and that'll be fine. And I'm just like, why did you suggest Edith? Like, she's doing things. Mary's not doing anything but sitting around failing to get pregnant or help anyone. Well, that we know of. Uh, Matthew pulls Edith aside after dinner and says that he would like to come up to London with her. Uh, and she says, sure, he can also stay at Rosamond's uh, because she feels that she is going to need some help keeping an eye on Rose. And... Which Matthew obtusely is like, why would you say that? It's like, because she's not an idiot. Come on. Uh, the Dowager Countess is asking if Rose's mother won't mind if she goes to London. But Rose says, oh, she'll be delighted and so grateful to you all for helping to keep this secret. Yeah, because her, her cover story is that she's planning some great surprise for her mother. Yeah. And I'm like, how many 18-year-olds have you met? <laughs> yeah. Across the room, Branson is recruiting McGee to help him convince Lord Grantham that they should be farming one-third of Downton's land directly. Uh, Mary comes over and asks how Jarvis left the agent's house, and Branson said that it's fine, but it's unfurnished. Then Mary suggests raiding the attics for some stuff. So take another drink. Hey! Uh, But McGee (laughs) worries that it will be lonely for Sibby, which is what they're calling the baby. As of this episode. Which is handy. Yeah. Because we're like, okay, Sibby, Sybil. So uh, she's worried that Sibby will be very lonely all alone with Branson and Nanny. And anyone named Nanny, I just like, ugh, gross. I I don't think she's named Nanny. I know, but that's what they call her. It's like in the Thin Man movies where he calls her mommy for like the last three. 
Yeah, but it's an actual nanny. I know it's an actual nanny. <laughs> Why can't they call her Mrs. Nanny? I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Branson thinks it's better for him and for Sibby to be uh, off by themselves. Yes. And he actually looks really excited about it. Yeah. Which I would be, too. I'd I would, be like, yeah. oh, my God, can I have a moment's peace for me, people? Yeah. <laughs> Stop dressing for dinner all the damn time. Just eat. For reals. Yeah. Mrs. Hughes comes outside to find Thomas, who is standing out in the rain. He's and not even standing. He's, like, crouched down. Yeah, and sobbing, as well he should be. Um, and she tries to, to you know, to, to buck him up and says that, you know, he's he's can apply for a job as a butler now with the training he's gotten, and he says that she doesn't know everything then. Um, and she insists that he tell her... And he says that if he tells her, he doesn't want to tell her because she's going to be shocked and disgusted. Yeah. And then she says that now she has to hear it. Yeah. And she just puts her arm around him and takes him inside because she's amazing. She is amazing. It's such a good scene. It's such a good scene. And it's Mrs. Hughes is the most wonderful person in the world. She's the best. She is the best. Yeah. Like, it's She's not even... She's even better a- than your Lady Mary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and just like, ah, and just again, Rob, whatever is last <laughs> James Collier, I thought we'd I thought it was Collier James. Well, we've gotten it wrong at least once. Yeah. So take a drink every time we say his name wrong. <laughs> or at all. Uh, so... But, I mean, this scene, like, he just, he's, he's got this tremendous range as Thomas. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there is this vulnerability. And when he really lets that come through, it's so affecting. Yeah, yeah. Back at Crawley House, uh, Isabel finally sees fit to tell <laughs> Ethel that she's being pimped out right. by the Dowager Countess. And she hands her all of the replies and says, you know, go ahead and look through these and, and see See if you want to go, you hussy. <laughs> I've annotated them all for you. <laughs> Edith goes into Mary's dressing room. Uh, and They have some small talk about maids or something. And then Mary asks Edith what train she's taking back and asks her to prevent Matthew from taking any earlier train, which is odd and suspicious. And Edith wonders how she'll be able to make that happen mary's like you'll think of something i'm like yeah seriously edith yeah. come on you've lied before yeah come on get get your scheming muscles in gear <laughs> branson is talking with lord grantham in the hallway presumably on the way to the drawing room or something mm-hmm. uh so he's hinting about matthew's new plan but he insists that they wait for matthew to get back from london to explain it despite the fact that matthew presumably lives in the house right and is still around anyway yeah lord grantham is all flustered and says he needs a drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, down in the Carson cave. Speaking of drinking. That's right. Carson is pouring a drink for Mrs. Hughes, who says that he cannot allow Jimmy to blackmail him like this, and also says before he asks, she does know the whole story at this point. Uh, she says that the Thomas is not the first man of that sort that she has ever known. Scandalizing, Mr. Carson. Yes, indeed. Uh, and she thinks that Jimmy has led Thomas on, which again scandalizes Mr. Carson, which she says not intentionally, but he's... Uh, A vain and silly flirt. Yes. 
And in any case, she's not going to stand by and let that whippersnapper ruin a man's life. Which I, I enjoy Mrs. Hughes' dislike for Jimmy Kent. <laughs> anytime Mrs. Hughes dislikes somebody, I'm usually on board with it. Yeah. So yeah. she can dislike all she wants. Although she dislikes Lady Mary, so well, you and I maybe see differently <laughs> on that particular issue. Lady Mary is not under Mrs. Hughes' control, so... That's true. Uh, and Carson points out that it's all very well to say they should stand up to Jimmy, but if he goes to the police, then Thomas will just end up in prison, which is not going to help him out. I do... And I mean, I assume that's maybe true. I do wonder, though... Would that be a going to prison offense given that no sexual act was actually committed? That's true. Um, it's too bad we're not doing uh, Tom Repeat's history and fashion backwards on sodomy laws. <laughs> that would be a delight. Well, there's always next week. <laughs> Surely there'll be more sodomy in the Christmas episode. <laughs> One would hope. It's not Christmas without sodomy. <laughs> So Bates is skulking around outside his cottage, uh, and then he sees Thomas off in the shadows, also skulking and smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Just being creepy. Yeah. And Bates appears to be, like, scoping out his cottage for a possible break-in. Like It's very it's, weird. Yeah, it's, well, he says he's going to get coal. Right. Because Thomas is like, oh, inspecting the love nest. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then Thomas starts telling Bates that he's very envious of him. For being, you know, part of a happy couple and everybody's so pleased for them. And then Bates says, oh, maybe if you were nicer, you know, more people would be happy for you. Uh, But then Thomas hints very darkly that being nice is what got him in trouble. And he says he'll be gone soon and won't Bates be glad of that. Uh, Bates agrees and then Thomas takes off. But Bates looks perturbed. Yeah. Well, I got to say, this is again. His Batesy sense is tingling. (laughs) It's true. And again, in the the slow rehabilitation of Bates after he's you know gotten free of prison, mm-hmm. he just says, "Yes, I'll be glad." He doesn't. He's well, and it's just that's how he no, feels. He it's doesn't. Just, it's oh, this is just so much better than all that crap with Vera. Yeah, like, seriously, I'd much rather watch a spinoff of just Thomas and Bates being mean to each other. <laughs> yeah, like can we just get Brendan Coyle and Rob James Collier in a production of The Odd Couple and have done with it? <laughs> yes. We can. <laughs> in the servants' hall, Carson is running down the roster for the cricket match, uh, which includes <gasps> the Hall Boys. Both the Hall Boys, and they are adorable. They are so cute and excited. Oh, uh, they're wonderful. Yeah. More Hall bo- more Hall Boys. Here, here. Uh, Ivy wonders why Mr. Barrow isn't playing, and uh, Thomas says that he'll be gone by then, and Jimmy uh, rather conspicuously agrees with that statement. Which causes O'Brien to smile. Which Bates notices. Yes. No, Bates has been the missing link all along no, the downstairs you know scheming. What? Listen up, everybody out there that's been mad at us right. about Bates. Many of our previous uh, criticisms still hold. Right. However, in terms of the dynamic, you do need Bates because Bates is the person who can go to Lord Grantham. Mm-hmm. Nobody else can go to Lord Grantham the way that he can. Yeah. And he just, he overhears things. He does. And, I mean, everybody well, overhears no, things, but... he's very attentive. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I really was surprised at how much of a difference having him downstairs yeah. made. So welcome back, you crippled bugger. <laughs> yes. Lord Grantham, up in the library, asks McGee where Mary is, and she says that she's away for the night. 
Lord Grantham is somewhat surprised to hear this, uh, and he asks if everything is all right between her and Matthew. <laughs> McChain like flips out when he asks that. She's like, "What? Uh, nothing." And I don't. Uh, yeah, she's not good at secrets. Yeah, but plenty enough to fool Lord Grantham. That's true. He's <laughs> not good at anything. Yes, uh, he says he is, finds himself impatient to get the succession settled. McChain says accurately that it's still early days. Uh, Carson comes in to announce luncheon, which is apparently it's just the two of them having luncheon today. And he updates Lord Grantham on the cricket match, and it, you know, in which it is revealed that Branson is refusing to play for the team. Uh, McGee says that he is very busy, and Carson says, "Might I point out that we are all busy, but we all do our bit for the honor of the house." And then McGee rolls her eyes and walks <laughs> off. And Lord Grantham says, very true, Carson, but that's perhaps not the best way to get on McGee's good side. Yeah. Which is, I enjoy, I enjoy this whole cricket thing. Yeah. I really do enjoy it. It feels very pedestrian in a way that's really refreshing. Yeah, it's just a relief to have all this low-stakes stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that everybody cares about, but none of them cares about disproportionately. Well, it's just nice to have something low-stakes that ties everything together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big fan. Uh, at Rosmond's, Edith and Matthew and Rose have all arrived, and she tells them she knows they're all busy and there to do things, but she says, you know, to go off and do all that, and then they'll have dinner and a family gossip at half past eight that evening. And Rose is like, oh, I'd, I'd rather schedule a drug-fueled orgy for half past eight. That's <laughs> frightfully inconvenient. Uh, she does not say that. <laughs> However, she does skip off to find a telephone and calls a number in Knightsbridge. Knightsbridge. And the music is very ominous. Yes. Ethel, uh, back up at Crawley House, tells Isabel that she doesn't think that any of the places that sent replies, she doesn't think she'd be happier at any of them. Uh, there was one that she liked, but it was from uh, a, somebody in Cheadle, which is apparently near to the Bryants, and uh, near, therefore to Charlie, and it would be sort of too tempting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um Isabel agrees with her that she should not take the one in Cheadle, which Ethel, I think, was hoping would not be that Isabel would try to talk her into it. But Isabel agrees with her, and uh, Ethel is bummed out about it. She apologizes if her staying on will make trouble between Isabel and the Dowager. But Isabel's like, oh, she would just find another bone for us to fight over. Which we've seen happen time and time again. <laughs> yeah. So we know that this is true. Yeah. They they enjoy their dynamic, Isabel they do, and the Dowager. They do, and as do we. Yeah. At the offices of the Daily Sketch, uh, Gregson tells Edith that she looks quite pretty and also that he likes her column. Mm-hmm. He likes the idea of a woman taking a position on a quote-unquote man's topic, the plight of the returning officers. Uh, he calls her voice mature, which he does not <laughs> care for, but then he amends it to balance. Yes. And he tries to ask her out to dinner that night, but she has to bail because, she, of course, she's stuck you know, eating with Rosamond. Right. Uh, but he says definitely to let him know the next time she's planning to be in London. Edith's got a boyfriend. I wish. I know. Uh, but I really, Edith, and again, it's when she's not around her family, but she just, this confidence in her yeah. voice, like the whole thing about well, the mature she's, versus she's balance. She's funny, she's wrong. Yeah, she's relaxed. Yeah, it's she's nice. Like, yes, we'll go with balance. Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah. In the love shack, I don't know what we're going to call the cottage. Uh, but, I like love shack. Yeah, we might go with that. The love shack <laughs> is a little old place where <laughs> Bates can paint the ceiling. <laughs> well, they're just painting the walls for the moment. And Bates 
says talks about his tingling uh, Batesy sense (laughs) (laughs) as far as the Thomas situation. And, of course, it's crazy that he's sympathizing with Thomas. Uh, And he says that he's going to talk to Mrs. Hughes about it since she always knows what's going on, which is a good plan. Uh, Then he spills paint on himself, and they have a good laugh. Oh, Brennan Coyle's so cute in this scene. He, it's a nice reminder yeah. of what all these people have seen in him. Yeah. Cause he get, like, he's got like this very like hangdog look on his face because, you know, he says, Mrs. Hughes always knows what's going on. Yeah. And it is like, unlike you, cause he just spilled paint in his eyes. Oh. It's probably lead paint. Oh, Bates. <laughs> That's gonna cause brain damage. We get a glimpse of Rose, who's dressed quite gaudily, mm-hmm. quite Zelda Fitzgeraldy. Yeah. And uh, she hails a taxi to go to Warwick Square. Not Warwick Square! I don't know what that means. Yeah, me neither. Uh, so in Mrs. Hughes' parlor, Bates has been filled in and uh, doesn't know why everybody's so surprised. After all, most of them, quote, knew that Thomas was, you know, gay, essentially. Uh, but she thinks Mrs. Mr. Carson is upset because they didn't officially know, and now he can't ignore it. Uh, and Bates says, ha ha, I feel sorry for Thomas. This is not the last time that point will be made. <laughs> <laughs> Back in London, Edith, Rosamond, and Matthew are eating dinner. Uh, Rosamond is fretting that they should have waited for Rose to get back. Edith blames herself. But Matthew says it's not her fault at all. It would have been a shame to let the delicious dinner go to waste. Like Matthew's like well, super like, lackadaisical. He is. Well, he says to let the dinner go to waste because Rose has forgotten the time. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. That's keep what telling yourself that. <laughs> so they're just making small talk about their days until uh, Rose's cab driver is sent up from below to tell them that he took her to Warwick Square where he sat outside for two hours while she picked up a friend. <laughs> right. And then took them to a club. Uh, and it was the Blue Dragon. The club. Blue Dragon. And Aunt Rosamond asks, what sort of club is that? And he says, well, you know. And she says, no. The point is, I don't. Which I actually really liked how they handled that. Yeah. Because Rosamond and, you know, to a lesser extent, everybody who's back in Yorkshire, they understand that the world is changing. Mm-hmm. And they understand that young people are doing things differently, but they don't. Yeah. Have first hand knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. And I well, just, it was, I uh, thought it was handled really sharply. Yeah. And it was her, uh, uh her mother's daughter sort of moment as yes. well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was not, not specified in this scene what sort of club it is, but there's no way that the blue dragon is not either a current or former opium den. Oh, yeah. Come on, people. Cut to <gasps> the blue dragon and <gasps> the first black people we have ever seen. On Downton Abbey. If I could put this microphone down, I would clap. Yes. But I can't, so I won't. <laughs> right. Uh, but it is it is the first non-white people. We yeah. Have, well, uh, not counting Mr. Pamuk. Wh- who was white. Oh, I guess so. I mean, you know. The actor was... Was the actor white? I think so. Okay. In any case, it's black people, which are certainly the first black people we've seen. Uh, they're the, the Louisiana something. I forget what they're called. The Louisiana boys, I think. But they're... A jazz band. Uh, and they were playing for a clientele, which is, of course, all white people. Yeah. Uh, needless to say. Uh, Rose is there uh, dancing and laughing and being young and free and kissing a significantly older man. Uh, Matthew, Edith, and Rosamond walk in and are as uh, rather nonplussed by the environment, as you would expect. Uh, 
Matthew says it's something like uh, like something from the outer circle of Dante's Inferno, and Rosman says the outer circle. I'm like, have you read Dante's what? Inferno? I don't think she has. Yeah, this is way more fun yeah. than Dante's Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> I but assure you. I think you. it is interesting just how. Because I think we kind of think of Matthew and Mary as being not that conservative, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. But Julian Fellows seems to be really be setting them up to be really conservative. Yeah. With kind of Edith and, you know, if, right. if Rose sticks around. Right. Right. As the more, you know, liberal progressive people. There was also a shot that was ambiguous just after Matthew Rosamond and Edith walk in. One of the dancing couples might have been a woman in drag and her female partner. Right. But we're not sure. We're not sure, but it was because it was a lot of eyeshadow for, a, well, for anyone really. Yeah. For anyone wearing a tuxedo. Yeah. So it was, you know, we're not, that's an unconfirmed sighting, but it kind of seemed, kind of seemed like a It was very Victor Victoria. It was. It was. So Rose, who has just stopped dancing and her and her partner go to a table when uh, Rosamond and the gang walk up to her. Rose flips out very briefly and is like, oh, this is Terrence Margadale. And Terrence is, Terrence is cool as a cucumber. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, welcome. Hey, get us some more glasses, you know. This is not his first trip to the rodeo. <laughs> yes. Uh, Rosamond asks, where's Mrs. Margadale? And Terrence, rather than saying there is no Mrs. Margadale, says, oh, she's up in the country. She's, uh... <laughs> And Rose says, oh, uh, uh, Terrence used to work for Daddy, so he's more of a family friend. And Edith says, oh, so Cousin Shrimpy will be glad to hear of him. Yeah. <laughs> Cousin Shrimpy. Can we get a pet name at Cousin Shrimpy? <laughs> um, and uh, Matthew asks Rose to dance and drags her off to the dance floor. Yeah, where he tells her that he thinks he can get Edith and Rosamond to keep their mouths shut if she leaves right then and doesn't see Terrence again until they're not in charge of her, which I love because he's like, you know Mm -hmm. what? I genuinely don't give a shit what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I really don't care, but we don't need to deal with you. Yeah. So she starts rattling off all the usual stuff uh, that young mistress says about her her boyfriend right uh, about how he's so unhappy with his wife mm-hmm. and she's just terrible and oh you know he's gonna get a divorce and marry her but it's so complicated right. and matthew's like yeah why don't you meet mrs margadale <laughs> yeah. before you go thinking things yeah uh no, man matthew should really like he's kind of uses his lower register in his voice a little bit or something like he mm-hmm. just sounds different in this scene yeah so he is just like whatever and he just like drags her out to the table yeah where they are talking they're talking about like oh i haven't lived in belgravia or not belgravia she says warwick square is like belgravia yeah warwick square is like belgravia but without all the noise or something Uh like that it is such a hipster conversation we hear this conversation all the time in san francisco Uh, and then Matthew just drags Rose past and says, uh, Rose isn't feeling well and we're leaving. And they shoot out, which is awesome. Um, and Terrence is like, oh, wouldn't you at least, at least like to stay for? And Rosamond gives him a little look as she's on her way out. And I'm kind of fabricating this here, but 
I bet you Rosamond gets laid on the regular. Oh, totes. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't go to jazz clubs with married men. She, you know, yeah. does it discreetly. She's a wealthy widow. And when her family's not in town. Mm-hmm. But she, she's on her own in London. Oh, yeah. She's... She was like, call me. I know. I like. I kind of felt like that was the message She's like, you there. think a 19-year-old knows what to do? <laughs> I'm 45. <laughs> I'm 50. <laughs> <laughs> the next day in mcgee's sitting room the sitting room of a thousand pillows (laughs) the dowager countess asserts that she's happy that rose is staying with her but she had forgotten the on and onness of parenthood (laughs) isabel is surprised that the dowager countess was an involved mother with robert and rosamond Uh, she'd just been imagining them surrounded by an army of nannies starching and ironing them to spend an hour with the dowager after tea (laughs) And Maggie Smith says my favorite thing, <laughs> the thing that I want embroidered on a pillow of my own for when I have children. And she says, yes, but it was an hour every day. <laughs> Down in the Carson cave, Carson has apparently just finished filling Bates in on the first three seasons of Downton Abbey. <laughs> Because he's saying, like, well, then Reggie Swire showed up and everything was normal again. No, and I'm like, <laughs> I wish he'd been explaining the plot of something different. Yeah. But like, well, we see Jack found some wreckage, but it wasn't big enough for the both of them. So unfortunately, he froze to death. And you know, Rose said she would never let go, but then she let go. <laughs> ah, that's the weaker sex for you. <laughs> And then Jimmy walks in and he's like, I haven't even told him what happened to the old lady. <laughs> oh, yes, I'd rather forgotten about her. <laughs> Everyone says that. <laughs> we have fun. Yeah, I don't know if anybody else does, but we do. Yeah, Bates, offer, uh, Bates offers to leave when Jimmy can, comes in, but Carson tells him to stay. Bates is weirdly like the muscle downstairs. <laughs> he is. And Jimmy wants to know when Thomas is going to be leaving because he says he feels awkward. Uh, and Bates says, uh, you know, he didn't do anything. You're still in one piece. Why do you have to be such a big girl's blouse about it? <laughs> Which is the best insult ever. Shakespeare came up with that, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> as far as anybody's going to check. It was in uh, Pericles. Great. Jimmy tells Carson that he won't change his mind and storms off. And by storms off, I mean kind of minces off. (laughs) (laughs) I won't grow up. I won't grow up. Uh, And Bates asks Carson if he knows who has put Jimmy up to this. Jimmy goes into the servant's hall and calls Mr. Bates Gobby, whatever that means. Right. I assume it's a Harry Potter thing, which, (laughs) like, those are fighting words. Uh, Alfred wants to know why he's calling Mr. Bates Gobby, and Jimmy says that he was sticking up for Mr. Barrow. Ivy then pipes up and says that she thinks it's wrong that Thomas isn't being given a reference, and then Jimmy lashes out at her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ivy is like, what did I do? Right. And O'Brien says, if you take my advice, I wouldn't get involved. And I'm like, why hasn't anyone set you on fire? <laughs> Are your bangs flame retardants? <laughs> do they protect you? Yeah. Alfred is just sitting down at the end of the table looking like he's passing a kidney stone. Uh, and that's that scene. Yep. Uh, in the car on the way home, Isabel updates the Dowager Countess on the Ethel conundrum, uh, which is that she didn't want to take any of the jobs. Yeah. But she did mention about Charlie 
and right. kind of being near to the Bryants. Yes. Uh, Matthew has been very vague about his reasons for going to London. Yes. But as it turns out, he's seeing the aforementioned Dr. Ryder in reference to his sperms. Yes. And this is where I say I don't think that he overheard McGee and Mary before. I guess. Yeah, I guess I you're think, right. Yeah. Okay. Carry there on. There can only be so many infertility specialists That's that they true. would go to. That makes sense. I don't know what kind of insurance they have. <laughs> anyway, so Matthew wants to know if Dr. Ryder's been treating his wife, but Ryder says no, and even if he had seen a Mrs. Crawley, he wouldn't be able to comment on it, which right. didn't you just I kind believe, of... I believe the correct answer was, I couldn't comment on yeah. it. Period. Anyway, basically... Ryder doesn't think that there's any point because Matthew is finally having his semen tested. Right, right. And he thinks it's just going to be an expensive and pointless journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Matthew's like, oh, no, like, it's all my fault. Blah, blah, blah. I'm to blame. And the doctor is like, you know, blame is really not a helpful concept yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so he's like, oh, you know, I'll call you when I get the results. But, you know. I think there'll be a, a baby crawly yowling in its crib before. Oh, right. I'm like, you are weird. Yeah, he is weird. I mean, I will say, I thought as an Edwardian sex doctor, he seemed to have like the sort of, you know, bedside manner, as it were, that would be best for his profession. I guess so. Just because he has to be able to talk to people about sex who are unwilling to talk about That's sex. That's true. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, he, he, Sees Matthew out out the door of his office and gives this weird look, and I just I was like, "Poor bastard, he'll be dead within the hour." I didn't have the heart to tell him. <laughs> uh, but in any case, Matthew goes down to the lobby where he sees Mary, what? who is announcing herself as Mrs. Levinson. Oh my! Yeah, using your mother's maiden name. Mm-hmm. How original! Yeah. No, and it's like the gift of the infertile magi. <laughs> yes. So Matthew's taking Mary out to tea after her appointment has concluded, and he wants to know why she didn't tell him anything, especially when they both know he's the infertile one. And she says that she, in fact, was the problem and has had an operation to fix something very vague. Right. I wasn't aware that you could cure infertility with an operation. Yeah, especially like an outpatient Mm -hmm. concealable one. Anyways. And I mean, there may, I, you know. I'm no doctor. Yeah. But I am a woman. (laughs) Yeah. So it turns out she really is her father's daughter in that she cannot discuss medical particulars uh, at all. Right. Matthew's just relieved to hear that Mary was recovering from surgery when she was rebuffing his sexual advances, hadn't gone off him yeah. as he had worried. Uh, anyway, he's very cute because he's like so excited that he's yeah. like, oh, I thought and like my dick was broken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's all very cute until he says to her, now we can start making babies. And I'm like, uh, no one says that. Don't say... Don't say Nobody that. says making babies. Yeah. Don't ever say that. Don't ever. Because first of all, aren't this you is... generally trying to make one baby singular <laughs> right. at a time? Right. This is our piece of advice to all our cousins out there. Never say making babies. Yeah, don't say it. Um, but I, what I do like about this scene is that neither of them was mad at the other no. one. No. Which was really a surprise to me. Yeah. Like, it seemed like that was... A, well, there had been so much, you know... Mm-hmm. pointless fabricated conflict between them up to this point right and this wasn't they were both like oh yeah i totally got why you were doing this yeah yeah a uh, rosamond feels very bad about not telling susan rose's mother about rose's behavior uh but man matthew manages to convince her to go along with the proposal he had laid out for rose and uh they all leave london because it's clearly not doing any of them any good 
Edith and Rose get back to the Dower House and very ill-advisably are still <laughs> discussing this situation right. near the stairwell where the Dowager Countess does overhear them. Yeah, well, she says Granny will be fu- would be furious. And that's all she needs. Yeah, it's like, enter Granny. No. Furious. She's, <laughs> she is just totally, you know, she's she's good at this stuff. Yeah. She'll suss it out. Yeah. Have you not? She's been doing it for years. I've heard. <laughs> Down in wacky subplot kitchen, Molesley is giving everybody a cricket demonstration because he's so good at cricket. Oh, well, you know, I bet he is really good at cricket. I don't think there's any other way this could I don't end, either. But by him scoring 200 runs and winning the game. I agree. He's going to defend the honor of the house. That's right. Despite the fact that they still don't have enough players. Look at how balding he is. There's no way this can't go well. <laughs> Uh, Alfred tells Mrs. Patmore that he feels uneasy about this business with Mr. Barrow. Uh, Ivy and Daisy discuss the plight that Thomas will be in if he doesn't have a reference. Uh, Mrs. Patmore suggests that he might be able to go abroad, and Jimmy tells Ivy to keep her nose out of it. Ivy wonders why no one will tell them what's going on, and Mrs. Patmore says it's because she wouldn't understand it, hopefully. Up in Lord Grantham's dressing room, Lord Grantham is asking Bates why Carson didn't tell him about the gay panic below stairs. <laughs> Evidently, he also knew that Barrow was gay. Yeah. I mean, just everybody knew, which, yeah. you know, I don't know. Because like, you do get Mrs. Patmore in series one saying to Daisy that, oh, Thomas isn't a ladies' man. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, I just, you know, it just never really occurred to me. Well, because that's the thing. None of them, none of them in the episode, you know, we say they all knew he was gay. And I mean, they essentially knew that, but none of them say that or think of that. There was a confirmed bachelor, not yeah. a ladies' man. Like there was, there's always been terms. a code. Yeah. At any rate, uh, Lord Grantham possibly gets the line of the episode <sighs> when he says, "If I screamed blue murder every time someone tried to kiss me at Eton, I'd have gone hoarse in a month." Yeah. And Bates grins this hilarious grin yeah like and we just, about died we had to pause <laughs> for like a full minute but like it's so great i yeah. mean like that was the whole point of like british boarding school oh, right was the idea it was like listen we've got all these kids we can't talk to them about sex and they're all gonna hit puberty let's make sure they don't impregnate anyone <laughs> we can jerk each other off all they want <laughs> But let's get them all isolated. And now for the annual Eaton Award for Best Joker Offer. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that, you know, that was, I mean, Oscar Wilde at his trial said that he uh, didn't do anything. His treatment of uh, Alfred, mm-hmm. the person he was accused of gross indecency with, he said that he just treated him like an older boy treats a younger at school. That so was forcing him to give him blowjobs. Yes, that was <laughs> that was part of the school system back then. That sounds great. I, <laughs> not sure that it does, but in any case, well, it wouldn't work for me anyway. Right, that's true. Uh, but in any case, this is again basically we're implicitly addressing some criticism that is out there that finds the treatment of Thomas's homosexuality to be anachronistic, and we're not you know we're not experts or anything, but the idea that it couldn't possibly have been accepted at this time is just that doesn't fly. Well, and particularly in this situation where there wasn't any actual intercourse right. or fellatio. Right. Like, it's not as if there's anything really going on. And I mean, people have been gay forever. Yeah. They've been gay since you figured it out you could be gay. <laughs> right. Like, 
they were like, well, this goes here. Could it also go? And what if there wasn't anything? <laughs> right. Like, anyway, <laughs> that is how, that is how, uh, homosexuality was discovered. This has been a scholarly treatise by <laughs> Kelly Hannigan. <laughs> what about that part? <laughs> um, and I mean, and there's just, you know, there's just been varying degrees of acceptance throughout human history. Right. But I mean, really, frankly, when you look at this time period, it's much more acceptable at this time period than it was prior to 1900. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, and I don't just mean like in the 1890s when Oscar Wilde right, was right, on right. trial. I mean, you know, go back all the way to the 1800s. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's just sort of this understanding that some people like that kind of thing. Yeah. But I mean, again, in general, as long as people were either a willing to be confirmed bachelors or B still go ahead and get married to a woman. Right. And impregnate her. Like there's no problem. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's, you know, nobody thought it, you know, Oscar Wilde, I don't imagine ever considered not marrying a woman. That was what you, that you married women. Yeah. That's who you married. Women are for marrying. Right. Men are for jerking off. Yeah. It was, a, it was That's a, always been my philosophy. <laughs> it's a simple system. <laughs> You're a woman, right? <laughs> <laughs> you are going to be surprised. <laughs> um, anyway, Bates then, you know, points out what is obvious to anyone except for everyone on this show. Oh, right. Because, like, everyone's just been like, like, is O'Brien a ghost <laughs> in this one? Like, is she just, like... Maybe that's, maybe that's the twist in the Christmas episode. Oh, my God. She's been dead all along. <laughs> <laughs> but Sarah O'Brien's been dead ever since she put that soap under the bathtub. <gasps> <gasps> oh, yeah. I mean, gee, killed her. <laughs> Cover the whole thing up. She would do it, too. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so he tells Lord Grant that, that O'Brien's behind the whole thing, and Lord Grant was like, "But I thought she and Thomas were best friends." And Bates is like, "Where have you been?" <laughs> nobody knows why, but they're not. Yeah, no, really, nobody. Uh, yeah. Let's just yeah. At the Dower House, <laughs> the Dowager Countess <laughs> has good news for Rose that they've come up with a new plan for when she leaves, which is that they will open Dun Eagle, which is presumably the house in Scotland, early, so that she can go up there with her aunt Agatha. Which, by the way, is 100% definitely a shout-out to P.G. Woodhouse. And actually, this whole character of Rose really, really, like, brought the whole thing into perspective for me. Because I've known that at this time period was when the G's and Worcester novels Mm -hmm. and all them were going on. But I suddenly realized that Downton Abbey is, now that they're in this era, is telling the story through the perspective of the Aunt Agathas, the Aunt Dahlias, the previous generation... Mm -hmm. That that is the obstacles. That's all that Rose sees the older generation as as obstacles that keep getting in her way. Mm-hmm. And that was that whole generation. They didn't give two cents about propriety and all this stuff. They liked the fact that they had all this money and they were quite happy to take advantage of it. But they they'd been through World War One. They just didn't care anymore. They yeah. just wanted to run around and have fun. And it's just it just like completely shifted my outlook on on where it's going as it moves into the 20s mm-hmm. so i i'm very excited about that anyway rose wants to know who told the dowager countess about her going to see terrence when they all promised she would they wouldn't and the dowager countess is like, who's terrence i don't know any terrence <laughs> uh rose says that she'll run away uh but the dowager countess says she won't that she is sending her maid along with her so that she'll have someone to talk to 
and Rose says that they can't le- keep her locked up forever. And the Dowager Countess says, no, we can't. Someday you'll be older and out of our power, but not yet. Yeah. Which is really, like, so great. Both halves of that are so great. Because mm-hmm. you will. It's just like, listen. Yeah. Eventually we can't stop you anymore. Just hold out hope for that. Bates is talking to Thomas in his room, in Thomas's room, and Thomas is being, like, very, like, Christian Bale as Batman, and, and <laughs> yes. I don't understand why. Yeah. Uh, this is the, like, I, I feel like he's doing good work, but vocally, it's so, like, we didn't have any idea what he was saying <laughs> right. until the second time we watched it with the subtitle. Yeah. And we were like, yeah. what are you saying? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Thomas tells Bates that prison has changed him because Bates has offered to help him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Basically, Thomas is just super fatalistic. He's like, you have to know when you're beaten. And Bates is like, I'll do the work. Just give me something to use against Miss O'Brien and mm-hmm. we'll get this thing fixed. And he talks about how he might go to Bombay where his... He somebody, a, I think he said a cousin. I think a cousin, yeah. And I actually struck in this episode by the difference. This is a very English episode or English plot arc as opposed to American because the whole sort of American thing is you go out west, you strike out, you forge a new identity. Whereas in England, there's nowhere to strike out to. Anywhere you go, you better bring your identity with you and yeah. they are going to check. Like you're, you know, that's the thing about England is everybody keeps an eye on everybody. And it's got its good parts, but it's got its bad parts. I was going to say, that's uh, that's empires for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lord Grantham is yelling at all the people that want him to uh, make money. Uh, he said, this is not how we do things, and the tenants and the farmers have been here for years and all this sort of thing, and he thinks that they should invest the capital. There's all sorts of schemes. For instance, this fellow, what's his name? Charles Ponzi. Old-timey people didn't know stuff. <laughs> yes. Um, that they should invest in that. And I'd just like to point out, most investments are still scams to this day. Let's yeah. not get too much on our high horse about Charles Ponzi, given that five years ago, the entire world economy collapsed, thanks to essentially Ponzi schemes. New timey people still don't know stuff. <laughs> just, just wanted to get that out there. Uh, McGee steps in and takes, takes charge of the situation and uh, says that the real responsibility to all these tenants and farmers is to make sure that Downton continues to exist as a source of employment. And Lord Grantham's like, you're against me too. And she says, well, you seem to plan to do nothing. So yes, I am with Matthew on this mm-hmm. one. And Lord Grantham's like, oh, well, there's no place for me here. I'd best go off and whine and cry with ices. So he stalks out past Edith, who was on the phone asking for the Daily Telegraph information desk, which Lord Grant was like, Barr. Like, what? She <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even know what she wants to know. <laughs> right. Um, but she... Is she might calling- be trying to get you a present, you dick. <laughs> it's a surprise for Daddy. He'll <laughs> <laughs> be so delighted that you've helped keep my secret. Uh, but yeah, she is uh, getting some information on Gregson. So good... Good work. Yeah, she's telestalking him. Yeah. That's what you had to do before Google. <laughs> That's right. O'Brien is going out, apparently. Oh. And uh, in the love shack, <laughs> Anna's putting up curtains, and she can't understand why O'Brien has to be their first visitor. Uh, but Bates says that he wants the to... The Bates ha- Motel. The Bates Motel. <laughs> <laughs> Bates says that he wants to help Thomas get out of a situation where he would be powerless, because Bates understands what that feels like. O'Brien gets there, Anna offers her some tea, and O'Brien says, oh, 
will I have time for tea? And Bates actually is being, like, very cordial. He is. Like, he's, and he's very charming. He's like, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Have some tea. Sit back, relax. She says that the cottage looks nice, but it'll look nicer once they've put some money into it. Which right. was weirdly backhanded. Yeah. Like, I wonder, because I, the second time through, I was like, was that nice or was that mean? Yeah, because, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure myself. Yeah. Uh, at Crawley House, Isabel tells Ethel that the Dowager Countess has had a note delivered to them and she wants to see them the next morning. Ethel asks, what's it about? And Isabel says, I assume we'll find out next morning because Isabel is secretly the biggest bitch on this show. Oh, she's really mean. Good Lord. Uh, O'Brien says to Mr. Bates that she's surprised to hear that he's a fan of Mr. Oscar Wilde. <laughs> so Bates is basically just telling her, you know, to stop being such a bitch yeah. and, you know, quit scheming for God's sake. Because it never goes her way anyway. <laughs> right. So Bates tells O'Brien that she has to convince Jimmy to allow Thomas to have a referral. And then he pulls a lost in translation and leans in and says something to her that just makes her, like, go ashen. Yeah. And she, like, flips out. And he says, yeah, you fix this thing with Jimmy tonight or tomorrow. Your secret's not safe with me anymore. Yeah. And this is where we could not figure out what it was that he might have said. And this is where I, I don't think it's that big of a secret. But we we really don't remember what happened in the first season. Like, not in detail. We remember well, I remember this, but I didn't think that she told anybody. Well, but that's what I'm saying. We don't remember who knows what about all the stuff going through. Yeah, but I don't think she ever told him anything about I it. I think she did. I think she told Thomas about okay. it. All yeah. right. Yeah. But again, we don't Do remember. you remember what happened <laughs> right. previously on this show? Are you not too lazy to look it up? <laughs> if so, <laughs> we'd like to hear your story. <laughs> In the servants' hall, O'Brien, who's really, like... And, you know, props to uh, Shiobin Finneran on this, because she just, like, this is a woman now fighting for her life. Yeah. Yeah, she is desperate to get Jimmy to uh, be merciful, and, you know, she says, oh, you know, now that you've said something, now you'll just look like you're being merciful and not vindictive, um, and, and it's okay now. Uh, and Jimmy is worried that he will look like a fool, which, uh, that ship sailed yeah. long Too ago. Too late. Yeah. You ninny. <laughs> uh, Carson comes in to summon Jimmy upstairs, but Jimmy asks if he can have a word before they go. At dinner, Edith has decided she's going back to London. She says she's had some bad news. And, uh, Branson continues to insist that he can't play cricket, and McGee keeps bothering him to stay on at the house instead of moving out. So nothing has changed. Yeah. Although Edith continues to be, like, uh, strong and independent. Yes, which is exciting. She makes fun of McGee. I don't know why she doesn't just move to London. She really? Like, honestly. I don't live with Aunt Rosamond. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. It would be great if it did. Yeah. I'm so sick of these fuckers at Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody dresses so nice in London. Man, in that newspaper office, I didn't mention it at the time, but uh-huh. I was like, man, I want to work there. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Lord Grantham uh, and Bates... I probably are getting dressed or something, but uh, Lord Grantham has decided that he wants to keep Thomas on staff for the cricket match and beyond. Which Bates is not thrilled about. Yeah, he thought that was just about a reference. Yeah, and not getting Thomas sent to jail. Yes, but but Lord Grantham says that he thinks that Carson needs to reassert his authority Uh over Jimmy. Which is not a bad point. Yeah, yeah. The next morning at breakfast, Matthew invites Lord Grantham to go with him uh, to inspect some of the outbuildings on the estate, and Lord Grantham refuses to go. After Matthew's gone, Branson tells Lord Grantham that he, Matthew, and Lord Grantham have to all pool their resources and their talents in order for Downton to thrive. 
Lord Grantham says he'll consider offering his backing on all these projects on one condition that Branson play cricket for the house, to which he replies, oh, for God's sake, if it's that important to you. I'm like, that's literally all he's talked about. Yeah. This Thomas thing, not even anywhere near the top of his to-do list. (laughs) Yeah. And also Carson is in the background by the breakfast table, approving heartily. Oh, smirking it up. Yeah. And and also, by the way... Nicely done by Branson because he really, really did. Scene. Yeah, you really did find the way to finally get through to Lord Grantham. Uh, at the Dower House, Isabel and Ethel arrive only to find Mrs. Bryant. Uh, the Dowager Countess invited her and filled her in on the whole story. And Mrs. Bryant says that she has been troubled about keeping a mother from her son, and she doesn't want to confuse the boy. And Ethel's like, oh, no, I'm, I'll be his nanny that took care of him when he was first born. And somebody mentions Mr. Bryant. And Mrs. Bryant says very forcefully, please leave Mr. Bryant to me. Yeah. And Mrs. Bryant is awesome. I was totes crying. Yeah. It was really great. And she's always been really great. She has. No, you know, and I'm, just, even I'm so her, excited that even though the character development was off screen, it felt very earned. Yeah. Just... You really got the sense that she's been kind of stewing on this for a while mm-hmm. and finally, you know, grew this backbone and was like, look, mm-hmm. I don't feel right about this. This is my grandson. You know, whatever this woman meant to my son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a weird alternate universe version of, you know, Branson and the Crawleys. Yeah. Yeah. In the Carson cave, Carson is consulting with Mrs. Hughes, Anna, and Bates about what Thomas's job would be if he stayed on. I don't understand why Anna and Bates are part of this conversation. but eh, They're cute. I guess so. They <laughs> do like to keep him around for this crap. They do. Uh, Mrs. Hughes suggests that he could become an underbutler, uh, which Bates is very not happy with because then Thomas would outrank him. But according well, to Carson, an underbutler and head valet would be essentially the same. Yeah. Sorry, I was just about to say that they're the top four non-kitchen staff, but O'Brien's exactly Santa, so never mind. No, I had the same thought, but then yeah. I was like, wait a minute, you know, McGee's not dead. <laughs> right. Um, just odd. Anyway, but Carson, you know, thinks that Lord Grantham will be able to sort everything out in terms of keeping Jimmy quiet and getting Thomas back <laughs> on staff. And I'm like, you're just passing the buck here. You're just thinking about cricket. Yeah, indeed. Speaking of, Matthew is trying to help Branson learn cricket. Branson doesn't think there's any point to it, that he uh, is not going to impress anyone. He's always going to be an Irish Mick. But then he hits the ball. So So who knows? Yeah. Also, for those who... I haven't played it myself, but my understanding of cricket is that it's basically... To play it at the top level, you have to be very good at it, obviously. But at this level, it's basically the difficulty of slow-pitch softball. Like... There's no there's no foul area. You don't have to actually swing at it if you don't want to. Uh-huh. Like, it's really hard to get out at cricket. Uh, well, then everybody in uh, the village and the house must be terrible. <laughs> Spoilers. Right. Edith shows up at Gregson's office looking stunning. Oh, my God. She's wearing this gorgeous, like, teal beret mm-hmm. and a teal and white uh, top. And just, she looks amazing. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, go to Paris. What are you doing with this guy? <laughs> so she confronts him because what she's learned is that he is actually married and has been flirting with her. And she tries to resign, but he mm-hmm. explains that his wife uh, has gone insane and is in, a, in an asylum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it means so much to him to be able to read her articles and to talk with her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
it's a little bit on the Jane Eyre side. Yeah. Well, no, again, with in, coming in the same episode as Rose's storyline, too. It's yeah. Like, and I mean, we all know that Baron Fellows will never get tired of punching Edith in the face. Apparently. So, Even in this season when she's had so many, like, successes. Right. So having not yet met Mrs. Gregson, I'm not 100% convinced. Right. But I will say that uh, Edith, very nice on the lack of histrionics uh-huh. in this scene. It's finally time for the cricket match. Oh, my God. I know you're all excited. I just wet myself. <laughs> uh, the Dowager Countess is glad that everything has been settled with Ethel. Uh, assumes that Isabel won't have much trouble finding another cook. <laughs> Isabel says that, that the Dowager Countess, that she only cares that the cook isn't scandalous and that the Dowager Countess would have happily ground young Charlie up into stew if it would have advanced her cause. And the Dowager Countess says, well, thankfully it didn't come to that. Which is great. Uh Uh-huh. Because of course she's not saying that she would have ground a baby up into stew. She's saying that's too dumb for me to even acknowledge. (laughs) Uh, And Thomas is out there apparently kicking ass at cricket. We're told he was. And it looked like somebody was putting up 100 for him, which would mean he had scored 100 runs or a century, as cricket people call I it. I genuinely don't understand cricket. Right. You got to know what a crumpet is before you can understand cricket. <laughs> right. In any case, basically, a century is sort of the benchmark for a real good game. Like, it's not something, it's not crazy. People get centuries all the time, but it's noticeable. Okay. And it looked like he got one, although I don't know how the scoreboard works. Well, Bates said he would be keeping score. Which apparently he is off in this weird <laughs> shack. <laughs> yeah. That like, doesn't appear to be that close to the game no. either. He's just sitting there in this jaunty hat with Anna. Yeah. Talking about how he's angry that Thomas is going to stay. You know, he just wanted to keep him from, right. you know, getting totally screwed over. Yeah. And now, you know, his life is better than Bates's. Uh, but Anna wants to know then at that point, what was the phrase that Thomas gave him to say to O'Brien to get her to kind of reverse everything? And he says he can't figure out what it means, but he was told to say, her ladyship's soap. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was the mysterious thing, yeah. which is a horrible thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it would do the trick. It would really do the trick. But again, yeah. cannot recall her ever tell- like telling him about it. Yeah. That's uh, Molesley's turn to step up to bat. So we all know how this is about to go. Yeah. He scores a million centuries and right. they win the game right now. Right. Uh, but in a shocking twist, he uh, is bowled out at the first pitch. So... So he's terrible. What? Yeah, After all that? After all that All that bluster and that buildup? It seemed so well supported. It really did. And yet, mm. mostly we hardly knew ye. Speaking of hardly knowing people, <laughs> Rose uh, stomps over to confront Edith and Rosamond. Rosamond apparently having left her swing and lifestyle in London for this dumb cricket match. Uh, anyway, uh, she gets really angry at them and he wants to know who revealed her secret. But then uh, the Dowager Countess comes over and uh, reveals to Edith and Rosamond that she knew about Terence. She had called Rosamond and told her that Edith had told her mm-hmm. some of the, you know, what she had managed to glean. And then uh, Rosamond told her all of the rest of it. And Rosamond is quite put out over having been tricked. Yes. Like, maybe you shouldn't be so trickable then. Mm-hmm. Do you not remember that guy who was trying to steal all your money for his, 
weird, ugly girlfriend that was your maid. Like, you're very trickable. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I like Rosamond, though. I know I just always do. like when she's around, yeah. basically. Uh, Lord Grantham confronts Jimmy about uh, the fact that uh, he basically tells him as if he already knew that Thomas would be staying on, and Jimmy's disconcerted by this. Uh, but he says that he's sure Jimmy won't mind, and he also says that Jimmy is now first footman, which Carson, who is there, was not expecting. No. Uh, and I, I really like this. It's Lord Grantham, because what the whole thing is Lord Grantham, A, dealing with the situation, but B, just being like, listen, I'm still the head of this little estate, mm-hmm. and I can still make my, I can still be in charge here. Which is and really rule nice. this little domain. Yeah. And it really, I liked it a lot, actually. I've, this is the most sympathetic for Lord Grantham episode. I thought this was the best episode of the season. Yeah, I agree. Frankly. I agree. I just, I think it hit all the right notes. Mm-hmm. Bates was back, you know, where he belonged. And, uh, it just, it feels correct. It feels yeah. good. But the fly in the ointment. Yes. Two flies, in fact. <laughs> two police inspectors arrive to investigate an assault complaint against Thomas Barrow by one Alfred Nugent, who uh, has been feeling like this is not being handled well mm-hmm. and that, you know, uh, sodomists need to be punished. Yeah. So he's going all Westboro Baptist yeah. on Thomas. Uh, but Lord Grantham, again, yeah. I mean, he's a good, like, people, pr- you know, he's, yeah. Yeah. he's able to, to wield that power in that way. So he goes off to confront Alfred. Yeah. And when the police make a motion to follow him, Carson just sort of stands in their way. Yeah. He's like, oh, we should just let his lordship yeah. handle it. So he goes and, like, Alfred's like, I can't go against my conscience, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's against, you know, the law, blah, blah. And Lord yeah. Grantham's like, okay, dude. Can you just have a little compassion? Yeah. He's like busting out the Bible. He's like, you know, like he without sin throw the first stone. He's like, are you without sin, Alfred? I'm not without sin. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty great. So, I kissed that maid that time. Everybody's yeah. forgotten, but I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Every day between 445 and 5 p.m. <laughs> uh, then we get a nice little scene of Dr. Clarkson and Mrs. Patmore talking to old Mr. Mosley about how Mosley's an idiot. <laughs> Oh. That's really one of the most satisfying things. <laughs> yes. So Lord Grandam and Alfred uh, come back over to where Carson's been holding the inspectors at bay. And <laughs> yeah. uh, they convince the police that Alfred, Alfred was a bit squiffy <laughs> when he made the phone call to the police. Having just seen some rough housing. Yes, that he misinterpreted. The, uh, the inspectors, oh, they're aware of yeah. the uh, very semantic way the wool is being <laughs> pulled over their eyes yeah and they're clearly very annoyed they've yeah. come up from york <laughs> right. uh to deal with this but they're like whatever and alfred's just like yeah i totally did not witness any gayness <laughs> and that's that yeah this is all by the way in the tea break uh, there's basically there's one inning in cricket everybody goes up then they all break for tea then the other team bats so that's what's going on here wow yeah um just just FYI. I did not realize that. Yeah, yeah. I just thought that, I don't know, it was halftime. Well, it is, I assumed it, yeah, the Edwardian equivalent of Beyonce was performing. <laughs> the power went out. <laughs> Branson goes over to the uh, the ladies' tent there, and he was playing some sad music, which I was then like, oh, his wife is not there because she's dead. I guess that is sad. <laughs> Good point. I think it's sad because he sees Mary holding slash plotting to steal Sibby. <laughs> it could be that too. 
but he tells McGee that he asks if it would be all right with her if he stayed at the house until Sibby is older. And McGee, of course, you know, graciously, but it's like, of course, I'm happy with that. She's yeah. like, I've been hypnotizing you with my creepy droopy eye all these many years. I shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> I'll just hypnotize you into forgetting about it. Shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> I really must stop talking. <laughs> So Matthew and Mary are walking somewhere. They're making some cute small talk about, you know, Matthew being able to save the kingdom while they make little princes, mm-hmm. uh, which is slightly less creepy than babies. Right. But sort also of. the imperialism really puts me off. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, it's kind of cute. And then Lord Grantham comes over and reminds him, by the way, cricket, remember the most important <laughs> thing in this whole episode? <laughs> So then, against all odds, the house team winds up winning. Well, I don't think I don't think we see, we only see the first uh, like out of the second oh, half. Okay. We don't see the end of the game. But Branson catches the ball for an out, okay. which is relatively rare to to catch somebody out is a a good accomplishment, especially for a first time player. Well, so every, that's why everybody was so excited. That would explain why the final shot is basically an episode of Entourage. <laughs> it is. Well, it's just like, hey, everybody that's been watching this whole season, in case you were worried, these rich white guys are thrilled. <laughs> Phew! <laughs> I was worried. They're all heterosexual. Yeah. They're all wealthy. I was worried that some rich white guys might get inconvenienced <laughs> at some point. But, but fortunately. No, the cricket's going well. <laughs> the cripple is unhappy. Yeah. The gay guy is not thrilled. <laughs> uh, the women, still downtrodden. <laughs> right. But Three rich white guys, boy, and at the beginning you were like, "Are they gonna lose Mount Abbey?" <laughs> nope, because it's that rich white guy ingenuity. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hang out until somebody dies and leaves you their money. Oh my god! So that's technically the end of series two, right? Uh, you know, we still have, of course, the Christmas special, Journey to the Highlands, as it's apparently I called. I hope we get to spend some time with Aunt Agatha. <laughs> I do too. I know you do. But yeah, so that'll be happening next week, possibly over the next two weeks. We don't know how long it is or yeah. what, how we're going to we'll do it. We'll have to see how we want to split it up and, you know, yeah. we'll want to catch up on, on telegrams and, right, right, and fashion and history and such. However, yes, before we can deal with all that, important business remains. That's right. Round two of the Abbey Awards mm-hmm. for this episode. Best evasion goes to Thomas. That's right. Thomas Barrow for evading his entire life falling apart. <laughs> yeah, that was a big time evasion. If even only if, all of us could evade our lives falling apart. Yeah. I mean, even if it wasn't due to his efforts that much, it's still worth uh, worth noting. Oh, absolutely. Uh, then we've got Best Overbite. Uh, and this one is going to Dr. Ryder. We don't know why. We don't know he why. He just seemed really condescending. Well, he was. He was definitely really condescending. Yeah. I mean, it was clearly like he knew he was being condescending. Mm-hmm. Like it was part of a calculated plan. But still, you know, the overbite is what gives people trust that he understands penises and whatnot. <laughs> well, that's his job. Worst decision goes to Molesley <laughs> for talking about how great he is a cricket. Yeah. Because, oh my God. Yeah. Get some self-awareness, Molesley. Yeah, come on. Even a Molesley should know that that's just setting yourself up for trouble. I know. <laughs> uh, Gibson Girl Slash Guy Award. Uh, this We're going, giving it to Edith. Again. She looked great. She looked, we all, we I wanted mean, to give it to Rose on principle. Right, for right. For being young and hip. But just Edith, just, she, Bought some new clothes. She did. We 
It's bizarre. You know what? And she's the only one who's buying new clothes. Yeah. Everybody else keeps recycling all the same outfits. I think when Mary was at the doctor, she was wearing her traveling outfit yeah. from the wedding. Yeah. And it's weird to me that she's the only one buying any new clothes. Like, the yeah. war is over. Yeah. But nobody yeah. else seems to be particularly interested in, in buying any more clothes. So. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, we just, we can't get enough of Edith anymore. Mm. It's crazy. I'll Edith all the time. <laughs> Next up is the Fashion Backwards Award for Backwards Fashion, a.k.a. The Backy. Uh, we're going to award this to a group again. Uh, <laughs> again, in the back half of the episode, all you cricket goers. That's right. When will British people learn that they cannot wear beige? Uh, never. I just, uh, I don't yeah. understand it. No, it was, uh, it, was, it was a blinding display it was horrible <laughs> i was like oh my god do you like are you gonna go like be camouflaged on a beach somewhere <laughs> like what is this it's hideous white want- people don't wear white or beige we didn't want to look too lively and <laughs> healthy uh, and finally everybody's favorite award the maggie smith scale of maggie smith Woo-hoo! and uh look out people but i think We've got a five Maggie We've got a five on our hands Anytime here. Anytime she even intimates that she might have been interested in cannibalism. <laughs> what yeah. are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. No, but she uh she did some good scheming. She did? Yeah, she had she had two different schemes going on in this episode. That's true. And pulled off both of them she exactly the way she wanted to. Did very well. She's yeah. an inspiration to us all. Yeah. And I mean she had to work at that Ethel scheme. Like mm-hmm. the first half it didn't work out. She had to to go back. And, she had a, she had a call in the big dog. That's right. AKA Mrs. Bryant. <laughs> so that is uh that's series 2 with the exception of Journey to the Highlands which right. we'll be back with in some capacity next week. Mm-hmm. Uh so until next time up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon out.